Good evening, my friends, and welcome to the 11th installment of our Astro Herbalism series, this time featuring Virgo, Queen of Heaven, or maybe Princess of the Stars, depending on how you want to look at her, the Physician of the Zodiac, the Mutable Earth, lots of fun to go into the Virgoan realms. It's a mercurial sign, and it's a mercurial season as we're transitioning from the fury of the sun in Leo down into the cooling decline of the sun into fall. So I hope everybody's doing really great out there. Would appreciate some uh, shares of the stream, maybe to your telegram groups or on whatever social media you like, but most useful would be a one-on-one share to somebody that, you know, is into either astrology or herbalism and both that way it's not coming across as like a, you know, mass share, but it's, I know you, I know you'd like this. I think that's, Really, the personal touch is the best way to help us in a word of mouth way get this content out to more people because it's enlightening, it's entertaining, it's a whole lot of fun, and I think it's very unique uh, in the world. <laughs> this series in particular, like this group of minds, it's really something. So I'm excited to get into it, and uh, we've got, of course, Slick Dissonant, Kyle Denton of Typic New Herbs, Michelle and Mario return. Uh, Michelle's Healing Home, Symbolic Studies. Links to all their channels are in the show notes. As always, each and every one of these people has just been, as usual, crushing it in their respective directions. So first, I'm curious, is anybody else drinking some tea tonight? What do you got in your mugs? Kyle, how about you? I got some oat straw, which is an herb that we're going to talk about tonight. I thought I'd get tapped in. And I topped it off with a little Super Bowl champion, <laughs> which is a, which is a nice little uh, colon uh, colon helper. Let's just say something that will be great in stimulating a parasitic cleanse that I'm trying to work up to. So yeah, Super Bowl. <laughs> That's brilliant, man. Yeah. That's so brilliant. It gets me every time. It's. You think you understand, but then you think about it again. You're like, oh, the layers, the layers. <laughs> so uh, I always appreciate Kyle's naming convention for his products. They're really awesome. I received recently a fresh package of stuff that I ordered actually during last week's Vibrant. <laughs> and really enjoying the extra couple of goodies that he threw in there. Right now, I'm working with the Flow State Hydrosol. It's a custom label, so you know it's special. And this one's got peppermint, lavender, sage, and yerba mate. Really cool. So I appreciate that, buddy. As, and, of course, all the other good stuff that is jammed in there. People ought to check out Typical New Herbs and use the Interverse coupon code for 10% off. Michelle, Mario, you guys got any tea or fun drinks going on tonight? Uh, well, I've got some chai right here. So that's my tea for the evening. <laughs> and I'm drinking some coffee. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's my style this evening. Well, you can't beat the classics. That's true. That's James. Nice. Gotcha. Cheers, right on. Mario. Cheers, dude. <laughs> yeah, cups are matching though, Gabe. We've like literally oh, nice. the same cup. Like even the logo on it. Whoa, that's a trip, man. Yeah, we're drinking liquid coffin. Liquid coffin. <laughs> I've got a, a bunch of stuff that I've received all of it from Kyle that I blended. So some heliochrism, some blue lotus. I've had the blue lotus for a while since we talked about it. 
but honestly, I was a little intimidated by it. And I only <laughs> just on Monday for the first time, tried, tried some of it out when I was doing Topher's podcast, BioCharisma. He came over and we sat side by side right here in the studio and had a really wildly deep conversation. I can't wait for that to come out, but he's in Costa Rica managing his slaves right now. So it may or may not be anytime soon. <laughs> Just so kidding. It's about, it's about time. And I know that that, uh, that con- converging has been cooking for quite a while. I'm glad that. Yeah. Yeah. He had so many things he wanted to know. Uh, so many things that he'd been waiting to ask me on his show. It was a lot of fun, but yeah, I've got heliochrism, blue Lotus, and then, uh, another blend blended tea that had some like Jasmine green tea uh, from Kyle and uh, rose hips and a couple other things. So there's a lot going on in here. Still a little too hot to drink, but excited Cheers. to get into it. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll play the drinking game. We'll play the placenta drinking game. So whenever time, every time that, <laughs> that word comes up, everyone in the audience can take a there sip you go. of their tea. Exactly. That's what's up. That's what's up. <laughs> okay, Lift the chat is saying Michelle's mic seems off. Can you say a little bit for us, Michelle? Uh, ABC123. Check, check, check the mic. Oh, yeah, it might be like off, off. <laughs> it sounds like it might be just picking you up through Mario's. Is that right? Everything looks engaged over here. So uh, can you say some more stuff, Bob? Unplug it and plug it back in. Check, check, check. Can you hear me? That's not doing it? You, you are quieter by a lot, so it sounds like it's off. Sounds like it's just picking you up from the room. <laughs> and we even did a sound check right before we started. That's the funny thing. I really? Swear, That's swear weird. Professionals. Huh. I'm getting it through. Yeah, the Zoom is picking it up. Supposedly, check, check, we can share a mic too. We can share. Yeah, I think that'll be the best. Not if our that's preference, a... but we'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can be mutable about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting us know, chat. I, you know, I have really high volume in my headphones, so sometimes I don't notice. But guys, let's talk about Virgo. I think we should get into it. Uh, I have personal experience with Virgo as my sister, my only sibling, is a very Virgoan Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> in a Capricorn rising and a Scorpio moon. So her her depth of perception is unparalleled. We, we used to joke before I was even into astrology. My nickname for her was the discerninator because she could just, dis- <laughs> she discerned exactly your intention. Even if you were trying to like pull something off, <laughs> you can't get anything <laughs> faster than uh, the Virgo Scorpio combo. So Virgo yeah. is the, uh, you know, has the reputation of being the one that's always right. And uh, that's largely quite true. What do you guys think? You know, what, something that uh, occurred to me late in life, I think I was maybe 38, uh, so maybe about six years ago or so, I realized I started paying attention to astrology and zodiacal signs and whatnot. And I started to uh, just kind of pick up subtly on this pattern, like, all the women in my life, their birthdays are kind of grouped together. And then I start. I literally wrote it down. And like, uh, uh, I won't tell everybody the length of the list, but it was amazing that almost every woman of real high significance in my life was a Virgo. And then I like almost had a mental collapse 
realizing that my mother's a Virgo. And it was like I wanted to tear my fucking Oedipus eyeballs out at the, at the, at the potency of this late onset realization in life that like Oedipus, <laughs> I've been fucking my own mom. Ah, this is horrible. But the cool thing was, as soon as I had that realization and that recoiling of like, oh, what somebody's going to clip just that sentence and you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, I, that, from that point on, I, I don't do Virgos. Sorry, y'all. Don't do Virgos. <laughs> uh, but it, was, uh, it wasn't really a conscious decision. I've actually um, uh, just something happened where I'm just like, I'm not going there again. And now all the, all the people that draw my interest are subtly informed on other aspects of life. Uh, so, yeah, that was a wild realization. And it converted me a little bit more to realize that this Zodiac stuff is hard hitting. I can't say, go ahead, Kyle. No, 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 you go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't say no too many Virgos. Um, There's a couple that come to mind that we both know. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing about them being very particular, you know, um, being anal. And so the mantra for Virgo is I analyze anal's right there and analyze. Right. And so um, that makes a lot of sense with the, uh, the folks that we know. Do you have anything to say about personality types with Virgo people? What's funny um, is it's about the oh, digestion and, you know, the digestion and Virgo go together in the Zodiac man. So, you know, where does that elimination pathway come out? It's the, uh, it's the anal pathway. <laughs> I think we know what that's all about. <laughs> I do uh, have a thing I've noticed with Virgos that um, they do like to be right and they're determined to prove that they're right. And, and not only, not always, that doesn't, it's not for all of them, but I have noticed that. But I think it's more of like a, um, um, it's not a negative thing, though. It's it's part of their wanting things to be linear and organized and their earthy nature, I find, is very, like, um, complementary to that. So, but that is something I've noticed about them is like a one way or the highway kind of thing, their way or the highway <laughs> sometimes, too. And my the sister th- has a game called Who's Right and Who's Stupid. If there's ever a dispute, we look it up. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Are, you, are you willing to play who's right and who's stupid? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I might have to borrow that. That's funny. Um, well, one of the other things, you know, I'm obviously more of a symbolic archetypal mythological sort of, you know, symbolic guy with uh, astrology and everything else. But one of the personality traits I've kind of noticed with earthy people, Michelle being uh, a Capricorn, is uh, this thing about having a, a more difficult time seeing things from other people's perspective. Yeah. And so they generally see things from kind of their point of view, whereas I feel as though I might try too hard to see something from someone else's perspective, you know, so I tend to be more malleable that way, me being a cancer. So that's just one observation with earthy type people I've noticed. I I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going, going off that, um, I think that the Virgos that I know, and just the way that I understand Virgo is that it is a introspective sign. So it doesn't like necessarily to get its feedback based on the group's perceptions, like some of the other signs do. It is, it is its own judge. So it's not, so when I say like, uh, yeah, it's, it's going, it's going within for it, for the, the way that it sees itself. And in order to do that, 
it has this polishing glass like purity to itself right the the most uh and then here here we are we're talking about the sign of discernment and looking about uh things through its clarity and uh so if the if the virgo is about judging itself and d- determining all of these things based on the Virgo center, which is this digestive center. What should I hold on to? What should I give away? Which signal should I send to the autonomic nervous system? Which signal should I send to the reproductive system? Other uh, signals from out there that are coming in. All of that is just, it is integrated right here at this plexus of this Virgo center. So the Virgos feel that the most there, right? In the, and not just, you know, the Virgo sons, but people with a lot of Virgo energy. Um, and it has to do, you know, with purifying that glass so that you can see things clearly. And also, isn't it really interesting that while uh, observing things outside in order to discern them, not necessarily wanting to be seen, which I'm sure we're going to get to quite a bit here with the hermit and stuff like that, but in these this place of the body, like it doesn't really want our attention. If it starts giving us it our attention, then that is a sign that it's like, really going haywire right it really likes to be like left alone leave me in the dark leave me in the cave um where no one could ever ever see me even if they tried um and that's to me as a virgo thing and i and 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 i know that i'm just kind of like teasing the the boy bolotes uh idea perspective here too but um i'm really excited to get into this sign and the herbs y'all excellent dude. that was awesome i love that oh and one thing, Kyle, I love bringing up the cave aspect because that's one of the things I noticed as kind of a theme with even the plants as I was researching them. Just it's a theme with with some of the herbs. And I'm like, oh, I was thinking about that. So I love that you brought that up because it seems to be uh, a thing for sure. I love it. What yeah. you said too, Kyle, about the stomach, the digestive system that when it's all happy and working well, it's based, it, you know, it's invisible <laughs> to our perception, more or less. Pretty much that is right on the money that whenever there's some sensation down there, it's usually like, I'm too full or I'm too hungry or I'm not digesting well or I'm nauseous, things like that. So, of course, as I bring up frequently month to month in this series, as the sun transitions into a new new zodiacal sign, I tend to see a lot of clients in my tuning practice that are wanting to work on or needing to work on things associated with the sign that we've entered. So we're pretty deep into Virgo and that's been largely true. Uh, Definitely the majority of clients have had uh, come to me with maybe some kind of digestive issues as a base thing to work on. That's been very common. So what I'll, you know, what you said, Kyle, I want to spring off of that and, and point out the, the sacral chakra, which is generally what we're dealing with here. You know, root is also connected to our, our bowels as well, but in, the stomach is definitely a sacral chakra, second chakra thing. And the, the emotions that can get stuck there would be frustration, resentment, guilt, and shame. Those are the primary things that can hang out there in an undigested way that (laughs) when those feelings from the past or our present situation are undigested, we find ourselves not digesting our food as well or certain kinds of food. There's also the possibility of 
although it may manifest more in the face, things like allergies in terms of how your sinuses react. A lot of times the reaction comes about from something not digesting correctly in the gut. So, you know, allergies tend to be associated with un, um, unexpressed irritations. So what I often will advise clients who I've just gone through a big clearing session and helping them see the patterns that they need to undo for not getting caught up in the frustration, resentment, guilt, or shame, definitely on digestive problems, it's more often frustration than anything else. Um, the, the, the polarity of all these things, that's the positive expression of the sacral chakra is satisfaction. So the opposite of frustration is satisfaction. <laughs> opposite of guilt and shame is, you know, self-worth, which is a type of satisfaction. So what I often will advise people to do, and this is something I want to share now as we're in the Virgo season, remembering that the stomach and maybe Virgos in particular, definitely the ones I've known for the most part, uh, they don't really want the spotlight. <laughs> they don't really want to be called out. And the same goes for the stomach. But the sensations we feel there, as we said, could be generally primarily there. It's a bad thing going on whenever you're noticing it. So a cure or like medicine for the digestion would be to intentionally summon the feeling of satisfaction or a pleasurable, tingly good feeling in your stomach. Like put your attention in that zone and see if you can feel a good feeling there, which is, you know, even when it's all working well, you don't necessarily feel like a good tingly feeling in your stomach. Right. So you intentionally send that type of energy there. If you can't feel what I'm talking about, you imagine what it should feel like and practice that maybe just once a day, just spend one minute a day, <laughs> especially if you're someone with a digestive problem, maybe spend one minute, a couple of times a day sending and your attention down to the gut and summoning that satisfied, tingly good feeling. And that's a, a really powerful way to harness the power of the sacral chakra in a way that will improve your digestion and your self-worth and all the other things that correspond to the sacral area. And it particularly might even just be good for Virgo and people <laughs> that have heavy Virgo placements. So yeah, I wanted to share all that. Yeah, man. You know, um, uh, for me, uh, Virgo is Athena, uh, silver-eyed Athena. Uh, she is born with full body armor. She is the uh, goddess of defensive uh, martial awareness. And so, hence, the virgin. She is unpenetrable. Uh, and, she, uh, and also, in the fall, we have grayer skies, right? The skies become gray, and the, uh, the days become a little bit shorter. And Another kind of fun thing about her gray eyes, she's paying Athena shine. She's paying Athena shine. And uh, I have learned a lot uh, in that metaphor. Uh, there's so much more going on. They will, they will say in mythology that the silver reflecting in her eyes is because she's over the shoulder of her father Zeus constantly. Almost like she's the still small voice, the counsel of his conscious, uh, keeping him in line, being the, the voice of reason in Zeus's uh, counsel. But it, and so the silver hair of Zeus is reflected in her eyes because she's constantly over his shoulder. And that's actually one of the criticisms or like, you know, because she's, that's part of being defensive is hiding behind daddy, 
letting daddy go and get do all the trouble, and you're back there uh, in the shelter of his shadow. However, it's also the placental transmission. It's the placental transmission that gives the what people call the immune system. That's the ultimate defense. All of that T-cell transmission will make the baby armored up for everything that child will need. And that placental uh, armor, it's the full armor of God. And so at one point, the Amazonas, the goddesses of the spear, were transmitting the paternal information onto the child, complete, whole, and intact. Now, Athena, she rocks the spear. And it's hard for a lot of people. A lot of people want to give her swords and other things. She holds the spear. The tip of the spear is the Bowotes constellation, uh, in, uh, which is also called the kite, the great void, uh, and is also probably the butt <laughs> that we're talking about. Uh, but that defensiveness, that polishedness that, uh, that Kyle was talking about, you know, uh, she is refined and reflective. Yeah, oh, nice. Yes, and also uh, notice in the Thoth card, on the left wall, that green uh, diamond shape, it's, it's, it seems benign. It's right by the sperm cell. That shape is the shape of Boothes. That you can cut and paste. It's a perfect fit. That is the Boothes constellation hiding out right there in that, uh, in that Thoth card. Oh, and uh, I, another thing I guess I want to say. I have a tendency to give Athena a little bit of access to uh, Libra constellation as well uh, because of the mechanics that Libra is a, is a machine. Uh, it's, a, it's the only inanimate object of the Zodiac and it's silver. It's uh, weighing precious alloys. Uh, so I also give Athena a little credit in the uh, position of, of Libra as well. Um, but then one more thought is, Hades is also here in this, in this turning of the age, and his name means hidden. So there are quite a things that become hidden as the fall comes on, um, and uh, the leaves start to turn red, and they start to uh, fall. And then so the, what, is, what has been hidden by these leaves will become revealed in the fall. And so that is also part of the nature of Hades. And it's in his name, Hyde, Hyde's. Brilliant, dude. I, I love the uh, the silver connections that you're bringing to the table um, with the hair and in the eyes and everything else. There's a lot to be said about that. And you just mentioned Libra. I was just going to bring this up real quick before we move on. But um, Kyle was talking about this judgment, judgment of self, you know, and there's this old sort of belief and there's variations on the theme here, but that Virgo and Libra was one large constellation way back when, or Virgo, Libra, and Scorpio were one large constellation. And then uh, Libra was introduced and split up this huge sign into three different parts. And so um, you can't yeah, it was ignore the claws of the scorpion. Right. Exactly. Right. The Northern and Southern claws. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you can't ignore or, um, you know, um, underestimate kind of the influence of, of Libra with Virgo as well. And obviously, um, 
we refer to, uh, you know, justice as a lady a lot of the times, Lady Justice, and she's holding the scales. Um, this is a very interesting theme because what I've read before was that women were traditionally interpreted as being the ones who hand out judgments because they are the ones who are able to dictate who they couple with. And, and who they uh, bear children with. And so this judgment idea actually goes back to kind of, um, you know, having offspring, basically, and, and the women getting to decide who's going to enter, you know, uh, their gates, if you will. And so I think all of that's pretty fascinating. Um, also to Libra being the first sign of the fall, uh, it makes me think of the uh, weighing of the souls ritual, right? In ancient Egypt, the psychostasis is also what it's called. And so, um, the judgment component coming into play as we descend here into uh, the the night side of the zodiac or the dark side of the zodiac. So just a few ideas there with all of that. But um, here is the hermit card, right? So one of the ways I interpret this card, um, obviously, it's a return to self, right? The number nine, as I'm sure I've said uh, on here before, it always returns to self, no matter how many times you multiply it or divide it, the digits always reduce back to nine, nine plus nine is 18, one plus eight is nine, you add another nine is 27, two plus seven is nine, half of nine is 4.5, four plus five is nine, half of that is 2.25, that equals nine as well. So it's always uh, about a return to self and this return to self is very feminine in nature and so that's virgo's influence on this card right and uh one of the things i've kind of been geeking out on recently it's very interesting but you know tesla and others have said if you study three six and nine you're going to unlock secrets to the universe in the tarot that's the empress card which sometimes the empress literally has grains growing from um you know the lower portion of the canvas and so they're associating associating her with this grain goddess uh this harvest maiden sort of idea and then the sixth card is the lover's card so there's this alchemical marriage going on between masculine and feminine and then the ninth card is the hermit you know so my personal opinion is that what he's really searching for he's either searching for his external or internal feminine and so uh, i think that that's kind of the symbolic thread here so when you kind of have this mirroring of the empress as the number three card the hermit as the ninth card and then uh the sixth card being the lovers it creates this beautiful sort of triptych kind of concept between all three things where the empress is actually seeking her feminine as well or she um has discovered or has unveiled the masculine within um and then he's searching for his inner feminine and then in the sixth card you actually have that union Right. This marriage between the two and uh, Virgo aligns very nicely with bridal symbolism, like through and through on so many different levels. So really, we're talking about the bride of heaven as well. So Virgo, to me, corresponds with bridal symbolism, queen symbolism, um, obviously uh, the maiden sort of symbolism as well. Um, and I'll say in the next slide, I feel like. I've kind of uh, decoded an aspect to the hermit in regards to 
his sort of storyline, who he was before he became this hermetic sort of person, before he decided to kind of have this solitary phase. And I think all of the symbolism suggests that the hermit was a shepherd, you know, kind of in his former life or in his earlier years. And so on the left hand side, you can see a painting of Christ as the good shepherd. Does it not look look like the hermit card? Right. And uh, regarding that hunchback, that the hermit is known for, I mean, it's a common sort of motif, um, you know, when it comes to shepherd symbolism and, and paintings and statues and things like that, to show the shepherd carrying a lamb on his back. And look how Christ on the right hand side, how he's hunched over, you know, so I think the hunchback is a reference to his uh, shepherding and carrying these lambs on his back, you know? So uh, I think the hermit is basically an elder shepherd pretty much, you know, is what the symbolism uh, suggests to me. I'm not sure if you guys have ever considered that or what, but I want yeah, to get your man. feedback. Well, yeah, when you totally. have the Virgo Libra combination, you know, if, if that's an older way that the sky clock was thought about, then that makes Aries it, the one across from that big zone, you know? So we have this hermit with the lamb on his back. A lamb is the most higher Aries, the high ram. <laughs> it's up high on his shoulders. There's something there possibly too. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, uh, something that comes to mind instantly is that uh, Coma Berenices is the cave this is the bear den this is the bear's den and in uh, uh some native american mythology it, the coma berenaces which is an arcway it's literally the bident of buotes buotes if it is hades it's holding the bident that two-pronged fork that's in the exact shape it's anatomically flawless and so the bident of hades that is buotes is also the bear's cave, the bear den. Mm. And, and so the hunching of the shoulders is what is required to go within. It's a symbol of going inside. And so going into the cave of the hermit's uh, self-reflectiveness uh, is, in, uh, is a shrinking. But also, if we're curing out our herbs, if we're curing out our harvest, it's going to reduce. It's going to lose water weight and transpire. And so there's another form of shrinking here. Excellent. Excellent. Very interesting, man. I'm thinking about the, um, the um, Virgo and the hermit being representatives of not necessarily the masculine and not necessarily the feminine, but sometimes it's considered a barren sign. It's barren to uh, material creation, but fertile to the spirit, right? And so as a mutable sign, it cancels itself out. So we have, uh, it's really interesting. I just thought of this because if you go to the previous slide, please, Chance, the, uh, the only time that this word comes up into my consciousness was last week. We have a tower, masculine, and it didn't fall into a hole. It canceled itself out. How? Because of thermite, <laughs> which is implicated at least. Uh, and maybe there's a, there's a many, many, many other reasons, but that word just keeps coming up over and over. And then when, when else do you think of that word really? Uh, at least 
members of this audience, you know. <laughs> but once a year, our favorite meme holiday. <laughs> Such a good point, dude. Such a good point. You know, uh, that, that uh, lantern is also the great diamond, uh, which is marketed by Bootes, Spica, uh, the nose of Leo, and some other star that's very remote makes a diamond. And then the dogs are Canis Venetici, which is two dogs on, le- on a leash. And the third dog is going to be the Lepus constellation very nearby, all within 30 degrees. And so the three-headed dog of Cerberus that guards the underworld is the Canis Venetici, which is an anagram for Vatican science. And Lepus makes the three dogs as we're going into the fall. Uh, and I want to throw the word self-possessed. Athena is self-possessed. That's a great word. Nice, nice. I'm into it. Go for it, Bob. Yeah. Uh, Chance, if you jump back to the other slide with, yep. What I notice in the uh, depiction on the right, to me, it looks like the blue discs could be mushrooms. Maybe. Ah, uh, yeah, so, I think so. Which further kind of points to the inward journey. <laughs> nice game. Uh, the inward journey and kind of going into the weave of the hermit. And that's kind of what comes to mind when I look at that for sure. Absolutely. Uh, there are some hermit cards where literally um, instead of a hood, the hermit is wearing a mushroom cap, yeah. okay. essentially. So there's a phallic nature going on here. Obviously, just look at how upright the hermit is. Look at that large staff. Right. And I associate a lot of these things as people probably some people might know uh, with the world axis. And so I don't really think it's any different here, um, in my opinion. The other thing, too, is that there's an expression of Mercury. I believe his name is Creophoros, something along those lines, where essentially he is the good shepherd as well. So there's versions of Mercury where he is literally holding uh, that lamb as well. And even uh, I would say Jesus Christ, in my opinion, from what I gather, that he was more of a mercurial figure early on. And then he became more of a solar figure uh, later on, you know. And so I think that's interesting as well. But um, the the thing I was going to say, though, one of the major themes with Virgo and the Hermit, uh, I think of the quote and I can't even remember where I read it originally, but what conceals also reveals. So veil symbolism, you know, even the earth covering, you know, um, what might be growing underneath uh, the sky, the night sky, even uh, concepts relating to the sun actually concealing things that are more hidden and darker is kind of a symbolic thread that I've been chewing on lately. But even that cloak or hood, um, you know, there's a lot of things having to do with uh, the veil. And and things being revealed when you unveil something, which is why brides have that wedding veil. Right. And then uh, on the wedding day, they uh, actually it's, it's pulled over. And so then they're revealed. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, so Bootes in Eastern astronomy is called uh, the shepherd. Uh, he's also on the full card of the Thoth deck and the full card on the Thoth deck has a shepherd's crook giving him a yoink. Uh, and so the uh, the Ring of Gyges story is about a shepherd who goes in a cave, a bear den, and finds a magical uh, deus ex machina uh, MacGuffin that he can be, go on to the private or the public at will. But I love that you pointed out that Jesus was once a mercurial and later turned solar. Uh, just to address that, healing is all about that going within, right? Uh, needing a psychopomp. 
to to go into the fever dream, to access the fever dream that raises your temperature temperature to heal. And I think that converting Jesus into a solar thing is uh, basically uh, the Roman Empire saying, "Get back to work, motherfuckers. We just sitting around healing all the time for." <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. That checks out. So. Another element of the mercurial aspect of Jesus is being a person of the Trinity. That means it's three in one. And that's the mother, father, son in one being. So that's something that comes up a lot in the older versions of this priestcraft, which is that the mother, you know, marries her own son, (laughs) essentially, who becomes who impregnates her. And uh, then that son is born of her and then like self castrates and becomes more androgynous. And there's a lot of versions of that. So I think we see that in Jesus, especially in a lot of the older artwork where sometimes it look he looks like a woman. And another interesting thing, you know, we're, you're bringing up Boates a lot, who's right there above Virgo in the constellations of the sky, the Mesopotamian name for the Virgo constellation was actually furrow and a furrow is a trench that you dig to plow with a plow or plant seeds in and through puns what they call lumashi the constellation writing (laughs) the word in the mesopotamian languages that was for furrow the name of that constellation also contained in a punny way the word virgin so that possibly is either an origin or it's just encoded like that because that's part of the system but the Boates is the plowman or the herdsman. He can be either. And so he's right there above the furrow or the virgin. <laughs> so wow. they even call the, you know, the word um, fucking is a word that also pertains to plowing and plowing right. is slang for having sex. <laughs> so all of this goes back to our constellations big time. You know, I want to point out the furrow is also an expression of the face. Uh, you know, maybe uh, if you see a beautiful woman and somebody's like, no, nah, no, nah, she doesn't, she's not into guys, then maybe you'd be like, make a furrowed brow. Uh, but also maybe on your first time, your facial expression might be something of a grimace. Oh, right. I want to share a funny little sink too. So... Congratulations to my beautiful wife, Jennifer. She's uh, on the way out of the job that she's had for a while, you know, and into on and into newer and better things and some freedom. And she's been doing this cool countdown uh, that she I don't know what inspired this, but she started applying major arcana days, counting down to the last day of her work, where at the end of this countdown, it was going to land her on, you know, the fool and then back into the magician and cycle back up kind of reminds me of uh, Tessarion's tarot scopes, but she picked the, you know, the order and the countdown based on, you know, this big event. And on her, she told me on her calendar today that the card was the hermit (laughs) for today. You know, she did not know that this was the day that we had pre-selected to do this conversation. So the synchronicities in this house are, are too much to list, but I thought that one was worth it. That's perfect, man. I love it. Congratulations, Jenny. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, super happy for her. Um, 
real quick, I just wanted to mention because you brought up plowing and, and the furrow and things like that. But um, long story short, pretty convinced at this point that we've gone through several symbolic ages currently in the solar age. Previous to that lunar age, previous to that, the stellar age or the polar age. And during the stellar age of the stellar tradition, a lot was made um out of the northern sky and the constellations in the northern sky, clearly. And uh, Ursa Major and Minor were once known as plows. And the more I researched the northern sky, there is a heavy goddess association with the northern sky. And so even when you're referring to the stellar virgin, um, there's a lot to be said about her relationship with the northern sky as well. Or even the Virgin Mary, one of her expressions is Stella Maris, the star of the sea. That star is the North Star. It is Polaris, right? It's the star that is the main star with sea navigation, early sea navigation. So literally, when you have Ursa Major and Minor in the northern sky revolving around the pole star, um, this idea of, you know, fertilizing the ground or insemination and things like that. To me, all of these things come to mind. Um, so just thought I would mention that real quick. Uh before we get too far away from the raunchy stuff, <laughs> uh, I've had a lot of really fascinating realizations out of pop culture around Boates. One of which, Mario, was when you did your show with One on One about, and you guys were talking about the cat in the hat. I instantly, uh, you made the brilliant observation about the kite hitting on Mama's bedroom wall. And that this is a uh, uh, encode for the virgin birth, because after the kite hits the wall, which the kite is the boletes, that these uh, homunculus start running around. And so uh, I uh, then expanded my understanding of what that kite really means uh, symbolically. I do believe that the myth of Benjamin Franklin, fuck that guy, pulling down the spirit of Prometheus into a jar using a kite is nothing more than encoding the Greek understanding of what it is to be inspired. To pull in inspiration requires the zazum, the negative space, the inhalation. And when you inhale, when you use the negative space that the diaphragm provides <laughs> uh, to bring in the spirit, you are inspiring. So you have to really clear out what you thought you knew if you're going to learn anything. That's the lesson. And as well, Avitation, baby. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Inspiration. So another really fascinating lesson was from the Brianna halftime show, Liminal Space, Fall Equinox. Fall Equinox is actually a 100-day countdown to the new year. Fall, F-001, 100F, fool, that we're fooling 100 more days till the new year at the, at the Fall Equinox. That's kind of fun. Uh, but Brianna at the halftime show, when she pops open her makeup kit and does a little vanity moment and puts on the placenta makeup on her face, that she is evacuating. She's self-evacuated. She's inspiring a lot of thought. And the makeup kit is the half shell, the Venus on the half shell, but it's also the kite. It's also the kite. And I'm looking at this uh, vacant soul on the stage drawing in all this attention. I didn't know she was pregnant when we did that breakdown. And it freaked me out post-production to look back and be like, there was a baby getting all that energy? That's creepy. Uh, but her little makeup kit was, again, confirming this Greek uh, ethos of what it is to be inspired. 
so yeah, I thought I would share all that. And then one last dark, since we're just can't let the butthole thing go away. <laughs> Are, how do I say this? A person who only engages in a certain form of sexual engagement around the butthole, are they still a virgin? Are they still a virgin? And if they are, are they a choice sacrifice? Are they the ideal sacrificial soul if they only participate in backdoor activity? Something to think about. Something to think about because the H.I. sure did take out a lot of people who practice that back, that back door. Something to think about, man. Yeah. The, the, the value of a virgin, uh, I think, is still a uh, uh, dark and uh, viable commodity to some folks. I want to share this great comment from Peter in the chatters i've heard that i've heard since the stars in virgo are so dim you can see several galaxies within the constellation sort of reminds me of being able to see the eggs inside her that's pretty cool like that a lot um and very very interesting i'm not ready just real quick to breach this topic people can do research on it but they say under like a mainstream sort of perspective through that lens that the galactic north position of this galaxy literally is in coma berenices which is right next to virgo and so and it was once said too that we live in the virgo supercluster as well that has since been updated, I think, over the last handful of years. Mm. But um, this is something that I learned about a year or two ago, and I haven't really talked about it that much. But there is this idea that the center of the galaxy in some ways is related to this portion of the night sky. So for what that's worth, but it just came to mind as you read that. And, and Mario, I wanted to add to your weave about the uh, Ave Maristella or Hail Star of the Sea, which is associated with Mary. Um, it's interesting that the phrase Stella Maris or Ave Maris Stella is not actually in the Latin uh, New Testament, the Vulgate, as it's called. So it, that phrase doesn't exist in scripture. It or, seems to originate from like some hymnal songs from the medieval period, which makes you have to ask the question, is that retained in folk knowledge because it was something people believed in new and it got sort of edited out of the scriptures or was it a transcription error or, um, you know, <laughs> a Mandela, <laughs> a Mandela effect in the sense of, you know, how people like they think they think they saw a certain thing in the movie, but a lot of other people are like, no, it was never that in the way that we, our memories sometimes fudge like that. So it's a, it's a question worth considering. Maybe not one we could ever answer without a time machine, but yeah, is, is Mary the star of the sea or is that more of like a folk thing or was it the original intent of the mystery schools? And then for the sake of solar symbolism, it was edited out to not give you that polar feel. I don't know. I can't make I, time on it either I, I, way, but it's not in the scriptures that we have yeah. or the, or the Vulgate. I got something on this for sure. I think this is super valuable. Uh, uh, if you're in the Polynesian nautical uh, engagement. If you're if you're navigating the oceans from the Polynesian, uh, it's actually Arcturus that becomes uh, your star of navigational value. Um, and in fact, depending on where you're trying to get, 
you're going to need a different star. Uh, but I do know that the Polynesians consider Arcturus, the crotch of Boothes, to be their their uh, star of the ocean. Um, so I think that, oh, and then also I want to say Si Ave, Si as in the ocean or the water, and then Ave, cave, that's the word cave. And so you're, if you're uh, utilizing Arcturus as your uh, star of navigation, just from that population, uh, then you would be looking for the Si Ave, for the cave of Coma Berenices, which lines up perfectly with Arcturus. Oh, and Mario, one other thing. <laughs> Uh, before we got, I got to shuffle us into doing our, <laughs> our, our herbs, right? Cause we're just weaving and having fun, but I don't know if you saw this. I showed it on last week's vibrant you might not have been present. So I wanted to make sure you saw this at the Bertaria festival. I was gifted by, uh, Charlay, who's in the chat here. She gifted me this 1840s Greek new Testament. It's a tiny little new Testament in ancient Greek and check out what is on the front of it. Let me make myself big. So that's Jesus, but the cross is an anchor. I can't really nice. get closer. Oh yeah, that. no, I can see it totally. Yeah, dude. And then here's Mary and Jesus Ooh. standing on top of a crescent moon. Gotcha. Which is Beautiful. interesting because that's also, a, um, you know, going back to the Lumashi of it all, the, uh, Celestial Code of Scripture by John McHugh, he, he demonstrates when he is decoding the book of Revelation, the puns in the, in the names of stars in the Virgo constellation, they give the imagery that's in the book of Revelation about the woman standing on the moon, <laughs> the, uh, the, the woman of Revelation. So got it. That's really cool. Uh, just real quick. I'm pretty sure the cross that's attached to a crescent shape down below is referred to as the hermetic cross as well. So Ooh. it's Christ uh, being um, crucified on the hermetic cross. And, and it's basically got the extra Hermes. crossbar on the top too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Totally. Totally. Interesting. Uh, Hermes, Thoth, Mercury, you know, Thoth was a, a moon God. So right now, man, uh, I am seeing, it's like blowing my mind to be honest, how similar lunar symbolism is to mercurial symbolism. There mm. is so much overlap. It's absolutely nuts that I'm actually starting to really, really link them together in my mind. So just thought I would, <laughs> it all kind of collapses into one it thing. Does. More you go. Yeah, and yeah, yeah the, totally. the, I just, I had to show you that because it shows, it demonstrates exactly as you just said, the hermetic cross, Jesus is Mercury. Jesus is Hermes. And uh, speaking of boats, the uh, the crescent moon is also a, uh, secretly <laughs> an arc symbol, a boat symbol. So, yeah, it's it's all in the mix. Absolutely. Really cool. Well, little, sure, Mario, sure. why don't you run us through our next couple of yeah. slides? And let's get through uh, this real quick. <laughs> so these guys, these herbalists uh, can get to business. Right. So yeah, this really. is from my uh, elemental study packet. This is the upper portion of the earth sheet. There's the correspondences there, um, you know, as an example, right, with uh, the tarot suit, it's the pentacles, playing cards, earth would be diamonds. The mathematical function, I personally associate it with addition, with that cross, the four corners of earth, etc. Um, 
the state of matter, I associate it with, with it being a solid, which makes sense. Elemental would be the gnome. And then the uh, three planets that are earthy in nature, right? Saturn, Mercury, and Venus. Notice that all of them have crosses in their glyphs, right? And then uh, on the right-hand portion, I've got the triangular symbol, etc. And then, of course, uh, a lot of other correspondences with the creatures, plants, gemstones and metals, and then uh, the myths there. And obviously, people are welcome to uh, screenshot it. And uh, if they want a copy, they can message me. Yeah, get that screenshot and we'll move forward. Yeah. Right. We talked a lot about these traits already, but good. Another one for screenshotting. Good to run through. For sure. For sure. So uh, the interesting thing, because I don't know if this pops up anywhere else, but it's said that um, the planetary correspondence is Mercury, right? But it's also exalted in Virgo, too, which I don't know if there's another case where the same planet that it uh, is uh, kind of ruled by is also exalted. But that seems to be the case. The one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the polarity sign, which would be Pisces. My understanding is that's actually why you see what kind of looks like a little Jesus fish and ichthys. Um, attached to that M of the Virgo glyph. And so uh, obviously there's a lot of Christian symbolism associated with Pisces and Christ being the fisher uh, of men. And so um, the Pisces correspondence, right, is fascinating for a few different reasons. And then you've got all of the other stuff that I think we've pretty much mentioned at this point as well. Right. But the tropical dates, sidereal, you know, the house, sixth service and health, the cell salt being a potassium sulfate as well. All right, we're finally going to get into some herbs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, an hour later. (laughs) It's just so fun when we get into all these details. I think it helps people understand the sign, too. I think it's super important. I I feel like I can't even explain chamomile without an hour-long intro. So, (laughs) I mean, because how is it going to make sense when we talk about mother, mom, when we talk about Matricaria, the matrix, the carrier of the matrix. Um, so do you say chamomile or do you say chamomile? Well, one fella at the shop called up one time and said, hey, I'm looking for this plant. I don't know if you have it. Chamomile? <laughs> I like that best. Yeah, it's got mom in there. Yeah, chamomile. <laughs> no, what'd you say about my mamily? Uh <laughs> so yes all right so we have this, <laughs> this is a great this is a great great to me example of virgo in fact when i look at chamomile as we'll call it uh i see the strength card i see the virginal white that is taming the the lion solar center here and to me Chamomile is a great example as gentle is effective as opposed to strongest shit you got being effective. Like uh, imagine somebody uh, books appointment with chance and they're like, Hey chance, uh, you're going to have to bring out the biggest tuning forks you got. I got a bunch of problems. You know, do you got a tuning fork the size of the twin towers um, or whatever? Oh, well that's what happened to him. No, it's to, to, uh, you know, you can do excellent work with uh, guiding gently the body. So chamomile does this. It is. Um, it does I've legit it. found 9-11 in people's energy fields. It's a thing. 
<laughs> what? I bet. Yeah, I bet you I got one because I can't shut up about it tonight. Um, <laughs> it's probably a well, we just passed the holiday. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, um, the, yeah. Um, uh, I just got sidetracked because all of a sudden my I just wanted to shout out um, Slick Distance last video that he just dropped. It was oh man, it was just a, a, a megaton. Man, what a great video, man! Thank you so much for nuclear for bombs are real after all. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. So here we have, I mean, another another great example of an herb like peppermint, like ginger, that is the the spell breaker, the familiar spell breaker. You got um, you got a million problems. You can rely on just a few herbs that are that are actually things that you've used your whole life. Maybe your parents used, your grandparents used. They grow all around you, and um, in this plant, we can discern by the flavors some of the energetic qualities as well. We can look at some of these signatures too, but I'll, talk, I'll start with the flavors. So it's mildly bitter. When things are bitter, they're going to have a stimulating effect on the digestion. So here we are right in our solar, uh, in between the solar and sacral, right around there. That's where chamomile really likes to work, just like the virgin taming the lion. Um it is uh, st stimulating to the bile. It's also mildly aromatic, as you know. So things that are aromatic are going to have like a um, an effect on the tension in the gut. Um, they're going to diffuse tension, dispel gas, bloating, spasms. Um, it's a, sp a spasmolytic herb is what it's called. Um, and as such, just those two flavors together are going to indicate that it has a relaxing nervous effect. So some people find that chamomile is sedative. Other people like myself who are typically like, you know, airy type folks, um, when I'm uh, working with this plant, it actually puts my gears in motion. I feel like I get things done because it brings me boom, like mercury uh, in an earth sign down into my body. And that's a really, really great indication for uh, Virgo herbs or herbs of uh, mercurial herbs. There's some awesome signatures for this as a uh, mercurial herb. Like mercurial herb uh, signatures are tricksters. Like if you look at this plant, you might say, oh, yeah, it's got some lunar symbolism. I think it's a lunar plant. And I say, oh, it's got some solar symbolism. If, if you can go to the next slide, please. The um, Another thing about, oh, sorry, I must have not put that other one in there. Um, the other thing about this plant is that it has, it has a really feathery-like um, uh, leaf system. So the, the leaf is like, um, yeah, it's like feathery, like light, like, uh, like Mercury's wings. And so because of that, it is, um, that's to me is a great, and it's also like big and heady, and then it uh, kind of falls over on itself like a hunchback. Uh, what else could I say about, oh, you know what? Matthew Wood, our teacher, uh, Michelle and I's teacher, he often talks about this plant as being, um, it's good for babies of all ages. And uh, thank you. Yes. So you can see the. That's the foliage. Here. That's the right foliage, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. It's good for babies of all ages. So when I, when he, when he's what he's describing is a plant that is gentle enough for a baby but he's also describing people that act kind of uh, baby-like, maybe throwing a fit or even having a temper 
temper tantrums or something like that, being kind of emotionally um, not within your, your gut, right? Like not, not centered in your gut brain. And uh, I actually have an amendment to that. I think that this is a good plant for not just babies of all kinds, but, you know, not the opposite of a baby is an elder, but in between that is maybe what somebody would call an adult. And the word adult is, um, is the opposite of unadulterated. So here in Virgo, we have a sign of purity, of wholeness, of connection to all of these different places in ganglia of the body. And it wants to return to a state of unadulterated. So unadulterated doesn't necessarily mean childlike. And, um, and so it's, it's really interesting just by thinking about like admitting that you're an adult, like I'm the adult in this relationship or something like that. It's almost like you're giving a signal to your body, to the, to the cosmos of your brokenness. You know, it's really, really interesting. So, um, when we choose, I don't know, just thinking about words and what they mean. But I do think that because this, this plant is really effective for babies of all kind, I could also uh, amend that and say, I think it's great for bringing back uh, to our unadulterated state where we feel complete, where we feel uh, connected with our gut, with our mind, with our senses, um, where we can digest our impressions of the day, whether it's the food we eat or whether it's the stress that we take in. And all of this stuff goes into the Virgo Center and uh, it has a lot of work to do down there. And so uh, gentle, uh, as effective, it doesn't mean it's weak. It's doing its thing. It's guiding. Um, and there's the mom, there's the matrix, there's the chamomile. In, such in a, uh, such the, a local, good word. the local uh, chamomile that grows around in the Midwest is called um, pineapple weed. And that is Metricaria, Metricaria discoidea. It looks like disco idea. And um, it even looks like a little disco ball. It's this, it looks like this, but it's minus the, the white petals. And if you pick it up and you crush it on itself, it smells like pineapple. And it usually grows in like baseball fields and disturbed like sandy soil like that. So I, if you're in the Midwest and you're looking for some chamomile, look for this one, that uh, pineapple weed. That's a very similar plant. It's the same genus and it has all of the same qualities and it's funny because it's re returning that like dirty undisturbed disturbed soil back to its like purity, so to speak. Yeah. I'll throw down a few things about chamomile, chamomile that I found out. So in the 1911 book by Francis Bardswell, Herb Garden, he says that chamomile is the plant's physician. So there's a belief, and I would love to hear back from people that garden, that chamomile, when put in your garden, has the power to heal sickly plants that are nearby or just improve the growth and health of nearby plants that it's planted near. near. So anyone in the chat ever noticed this or tried this? Or Michelle, I know you grow things. Have you ever tried that? Um, you know, I haven't tried it consciously. But when the chamomile uh, 
The chamomile in our garden seems to be very friendly with the other plants, gets along really well with the other plants around it. And typically, I mean, I have I have ours situated next to the yarrow, so I feel like they play off of each other really well. But that's something to pay attention to, actually. Um, and maybe that would be a good experiment. Maybe I'll actually try this uh, next year. But like planting it throughout the entire garden, because then if you do by chance have a plant that's not feeling so hot, maybe, you know. Just having it everywhere might help a little bit. That's really cool. I've never heard that. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It sounds like a totally awesome hack, especially for permaculture. It makes sense, too, because like what Kyle's talking about, it's like this is such a calming and soothing herb. So when someone's not feeling right or if a plant is feeling frayed or maybe it got a little scorched by the sun or whatever, you know, maybe that uh, calming energy of chamomile is actually what helps the plant. It's actually it's, you know, vibratory energy that it's putting out. That is what is actually calming down the entire uh, garden or the plants near it. Yeah, and it also has uh, powerful associations with ritual magic. Not something I like maybe do much of myself or other than just really basic uh, grounding, smudging, shielding type stuff occasionally. But chamomile, according to magical folklore, unlike a lot of herbs that repel negative energy, it's thought to transform negative energy into positive energy. And you could potentially steep your steep some chamomile flowers in hot water and then sprinkle that water around as a metaphysical barrier, which, yeah, that sounds really cool. Sort of like a banishing ritual, but with herb herb juice. I think one of the best ways that I like to recommend chamomile is for mothers to consume it as tea to pass on in their breast milk to the to their child because it is so calming and relaxing to the nervous system of the mother but it's also great for the um digestive system especially like gastro reflux and everything like that uh, for the for the child so um if there's gerd or spitting up or things like that it's just it's it's going to help you know calm mom calm child and it's really easy to make a cup of chamomile tea and use it in the bath um as a something that will it's really great for fevers it's great for so many things it's just a it's like a virgo in a lot of ways and that it's just all-purpose utility plant that you could count on but you might not always think of as like the most fun exotic thing to bring along into the blend or whatever but you can always rely on it and i think that it's very virgoing in this way Hey, Kyle, uh, did you intend for the pineapple weed slide to be right after this one? Uh, yes. Because I do have it in here. Oh, there, there it is. is. It's right there. So I thought they were separated, but there you go. Yep. Metricaria. Disco idea. Discordia. Um, <laughs> I got an idea. Uh, it does kind of look like a disco ball, sort of. But yeah, can, if you recognize that plant from the Midwest, that's the... To me, there's a very mercurial like like signature, feathery, um, flighty. It's going to fall over. Head, uh, um, lots of energy in the head, um, and kind of weaker below. Yeah. Nice. I had a couple other things with chamomile that came up. 
Oh, uh, yeah, before, let's get to it. Before we move on to the beautiful Queen Anne's Lace, um, you know, chamomile is one of my favorite. Well, I'm a blonde, so a lot of times they'll recommend chamomile for blonde haired people, um, but it can be used for any hair, really. And there's a huge Virgo hair weave that, you know, uh, Mario has been talking about for a while. And we brought up yesterday when we had our conversation about Virgo. But I love chamomile, fresh chamomile infused into um, something like almond oil is really great for hair because it's super light. Um, great grape seed oil is good as well. But almond is one of my favorites for hair, for any hair type, really, especially people with dreadlocks. Um, dreadlocks love almond oil for some reason. But uh, you can infuse fresh chamomile into almond oil and um, just a tiny bit of like high proof vodka or cane alcohol into that with that will bring the scent of the chamomile out into the oil so fantastically. And if you store the oil um, in a cool, dark place, it will last for a long time, at least in my experience. Um, and so that's a really wonderful thing to think about with hair. And then the other thing is that uh, kind of when you're harvesting chamomile, you like can do it by hand and you can actually use your fingers to kind of like run through the um, plant and like pluck the, the flowers off, almost like you're brushing the plant a little bit. And I've seen a tool that it's like a silver tool that has like comb teeth in it that you can run on the top, you know, in between the stem and the flower blossom and almost like brush <laughs> the chamomile and get those blossoms up gently. And then it'll, you know, continue to produce flowers later into the season, the more you um, harvest. And then one of the other things, going back to just the calming, uh, digestive, uh, stomach soothing aspects of chamomile is it's wonderful with steamed milk. And I always remember years ago, I was working at a coffee shop and I went to work one day and I just didn't feel very good. I had a stomach ache. And my fellow barista was like, oh, I have just the thing for you. And she grabbed chamomile and steamed milk and put honey into it. And she goes, if you drink this, you'll probably feel better. And no doubt within, you know, 15 minutes or so after drinking that slowly sipping on it felt great. Didn't even think about my stomach anymore. So little things like that. And I think that the cool, the milk connection um, works well because everyone, you know, knows the um, thing about warm milk before bed helps you sleep. So another way to enjoy chamomile if you like milk, raw milk, preferably, I guess <laughs> these days. But <laughs> um, yeah, wonderful. Love it. So, so there couldn't be a bit of a milk and honey encode to the, you know, the white and the gold here. Yeah. Um, and I just can't help myself. Chance, can you make me big? Can you embiggen me? Presto embiggeno. <laughs> Camel is camelopartitis right here. It's a very high ascended aspect of the night sky. And lo and behold, it is right next to the sacred matriarch, Cassiopeia. And so when I hear like camel and matriarch, my mind goes to a very sacred location here in the heavens. And you mentioned that it can, it can be preserved for a prolonged period. And that is one of the features of a camel is endurance, uh, storage, long term, uh, having the foresight to plan ahead and store things uh, at, a, at a long distance. Now, the camelopartitis is a giraffe, 
but that's just kind of part of what, how they named things back then. It's a, it's a chimera. It's a chimera. The candle is a chimera, uh, all linguistically uh, interwoven in a powerful way. Uh, but when you said that they store it in a dark place, it's funny because that's how cheese was invented. Uh, they had milk in a camel's stomach for a prolonged. This is a myth, uh, but it was stored in a camel's belly for a long period. Does chamomile have any uh, implication to cheese or or curing uh, fermenting milk or anything like that? Am I on to something? It just doesn't. It, as a as a plant, it is the most stable plant. Like you can have dusty ass chamomile from the worst herb company ever that's been sitting on the the shelves of the store for 10 years and you can open it up and it is going to make you a nice cup of tea and there's not other plants that do that so it does have that endurance aspect to it and like i said it it it, it works through the mother's milk like that's where that's where it's one of its best virtues is is for the mother okay guess what guess what guess what guess what before right you go on, on though i gotta tell you something real quick the <laughs> I just found out where I live in Springfield because you brought up the cheese thing. So I've mentioned this before, but we have like underground, an underground city under the city. And I found out that they're storing 7 million pounds of cheese in the caves under the city of Springfield, <laughs> all government owned cheese. Wow. So that's, that's, that out there. that's trippy. There might be a Thomas Jefferson. It might be a Thomas Jefferson nod. He got uh, he invented macaroni and cheese because somebody paid him a debt in old cheese. There might be something there, but guess what? They worked it. Well, we have the craft food manufacturing plant here in Springfield. <laughs> yeah, that's a Thomas Jefferson get ready kind of thing. But uh, we're looking for a word. Guess what's under cameloparditis? Perseus is right under cameloparditis, and so. Uh, that storage, that uh, that ability to uh, persevere, it's right there uh, in the stars. Uh, I'll be right back. Um, and uh, lastly, about chamomile, I wanted to say that, Kyle, I really enjoyed your Herb of the Week with Serena, the recording that you guys did on chamomile. So just wanted to shout that out. So anyone who hasn't listened to that, I know you guys put that one up for uh, for everyone for free. So you guys should listen to that because it was really nice to hear Serena's uh, take on it and her experience with it and hearing that she was giving chamomile as a baby and things like that. So really cool. And uh, your guys' tradition with Davide and and everything else so i won't spoil it entirely but it's a good one there's good nuggets in there thank you thank you oh yeah if you dig that up i'll share that to our chatters yeah just go awesome. to any podcast player and look for root radical and then you okay know, and then uh and then look for the one for camomile very awesome yeah yeah thanks michelle i appreciate that She's oh, nice on. Course. She sounds nice on the air. She's such a, a a good talker too. Yeah, for sure. She does well. I mean, I even thought about it. I'll just say it right now. I thought about. I don't know if she wants to be interviewed, but I thought about asking her for a healing home. There's like an uh, online invite, uh, on air invite, I guess. But I was thinking about it. I heard you guys speak. I'm like, wow. She, I know, has a lot to share. So um, anyway. I can contact her on that uh, uh, separately. But here we are, Queen Anne's Lace, lovely lady. Um, this was the first plant that came to my mind when um, I was starting to formulate uh, plants for this 
this stream tonight because it's one of my all-time favorites. And I find that I have a pretty deep connection with her on a handful of levels. And it's gotten stronger every single year. Every time I go sit with her, every time I notice her, Queen Anne's Lace grows really abundantly here. But I would say this year, it was the most abundant of all the years we've been out here. And it popped up in places that it wasn't before. And very cool. So a lot of times it's also known as wild carrot. You'll hear that um, as well. Um, it's also one of the uh, nicknames for it is bird's nest. And the reason that it is called that is because I'll show you guys. I have a little um, I have some a seed pod here of the Queen Anne's lace. And the reason it's sometimes called bird's nest is because once the seeds start to form, uh, it it starts to close in on itself and it looks a little bit like a bird's nest. And some of them are very circular and they have like an actual area where a bird could live. Uh, a hummingbird actually would probably be a perfect nest for a hummingbird. Um, but that is one of its nicknames is bird's nest. So um, that's later in its life. Uh, seed medicine is the first thing that comes to mind with Queen Anne's lace because the seeds are used in a lot of ways, but one of the um, most known, well, sort of most known, I guess, ways of using it is actually a natural contraceptive. Um, and so this is one of the plants that can be used um, early stages of um, perhaps maybe when right before implantation happens or if you caught if you weren't wanting to get pregnant and you maybe had a slip up and I I, I put that in quotes because I don't think it's a slip up everything has a reason for happening but um, basically it's kind of like a natural uh, morning after pill you could call it for lack of better words because what the seeds will do is it actually helps to um, it helps the uterus wall to shed so if you were to have um, the seeds, you could chew the seeds, you can also tincture the seeds and you can take it as a tea. So uh, I know that this could be a controversial topic for a lot of people, too, but there's a whole weave of herbal abortions, uh, of herbal abortion traditions. And there are certain plants that can be used for this. They have been used for centuries um, and midwives actually were usually the keepers of this knowledge. So not only were they birthing babies and bringing babies into the world, they were also helping women that where there may have been a mishap, there may have been something that happened. You know, they were the keepers of this knowledge, keepers of the wisdom uh, and keepers of some of these medicines that could help a lady go through this. Um, and so I would caution people before, if you're thinking of doing anything like that, to really do your research, even though there's not a lot out there. Um, but uh, you just should just know what you're doing and try and work with an herbalist that's very knowledgeable in this stuff, because um, there's all sorts of implications that can happen, but there's very safe ways to do it. Wild carrot is one of them, and it's th through the seeds. So this is a mercurial plant. It's also sometimes linked with Venus. Culpepper, um, he tends to put this with mercury because it's a mover. It moves fluids. Um, it can move stagnant, stagnant blood. It is a diuretic, so it can help us flush, help the body flush um, through the urine. Um, Venus, for its just 
ability to really be a woman's herb uh, for some of the reasons I talked about just before. But also when you have a plant that helps to um, helps the uterus to shed, it can also help with something called endometriosis. And endometriosis a lot of times is when the uterine lining gets thick, it, it thickens and it might not be shedding properly. Um, and so there's a lot of pain associated with this. Um, all irregular, it can cause irregular periods and a number of other symptoms for women. Um, but Queen Anne's Lace could be, the seeds of this plant could be something that could be used for that as well. Um, also, um, I just love looking at this plant. And so when you look at her, you see the younger flower has the pink ring around it. And this just reminds me of a lady and it kind of reminds me of a cervix. There's something very gentle about this. That, that pink ring is also a really great way to identify this plant because a lot of times this plant can be uh, mistaken for water hemlock, which looks different. The stem has kind of like a spatter. Oh, for with the water hemlock, the uh, stem has like a spattering of red going up it. There are some indicators that once you know them, you can really differentiate these plants pretty well. So if you are trying to get your hands on wild carrot, just do some research beforehand. The other thing that uh, is an indicator is that red dot that's in the center there. And uh, I know we bring up Matthew Wood a lot, but he is... He is one of the pillars of our studies that we've talked about before. And he is just a guy that has, there you go. He is on another level with so many things. He reminds me a lot of our panel, how he has this herbal knowledge, but he takes it to a next level. And so in that with Queen Anne's Lace, one of the weaves that he puts together is that he says that symbolically that red dot is actually the blood of a woman who's pricked her finger, who's a lace maker. And so she was making lace. She pricked her finger and a drop of blood fell to the center of the Queen Anne's Lace. And it is forever in the center here. And that is one of the greatest indicators. And I'll say too, this plant is very centering. Uh, it, it can be very grounding. It can be, uh, it can help you to find your center. That's one of the things that the flower essence I find to be good for is someone that might be feeling all over the place. Uh, flower essence of Queen Anne's lace can help you bring in, go inward, maybe uh, drop down through the chakras to be able to maybe find blockages in the lower chakras that could be causing you a blockage in the upper chakras, if that makes sense. Um, I love I love the fact, too, that Matthew points out the symbolism behind a finger being pricked in characters in fairy tales. And I wrote down a quote from him. Um, let me see. Where did I put it? Oh, yeah. OK, so um, basically characters who prick his or her fingers they're suddenly pushed into like a new phase of life. That's like something that happens in these fairy tales. So quote, to some extent, it represents becoming open to or abused by powerful forces outside oneself. When the image appears in fairy tales, it often relates to the awareness of one's sexual identity or vulnerability. So thought that was really interesting. Um, I thought it was a really great connection with this plant. And that is from his book, um, the book of herbal wisdom, which is a really great one. I didn't bring it in with us, but um, just a wonderful um, <laughs> expose on so many plants. He goes into a lot of his own personal stories in those plants or in that book as well. Loves deep, uh, loves to put its roots down deep 
wild carrot. You know, it does have a carrot shaped root to it. It uh, does not taste like a carrot. It's much more bitter. Um, it is white in color, but um, goes down deep, loves fertile soil and sandy, well-drained soil. Um, so it likes a room. This lady likes room, <laughs> I would say. And um, before uh, we get away from it, too, um, I thought what would would be cool is just to quickly go through and show people how easy it would be to create a tincture of this remedy, if I could. I can hold your mic. Okay, so I gathered some of the seeds, okay, and there's like seed pods. These are the seed pods of the Queen Anne's Lace I showed you before. Some people say to gather the seeds when they're dry. Other people say to gather them when they're fresh. So I gathered both of them. So what you'll do with this, I also crushed some of the seeds because you want to open the seed pods up a little bit. So I just have my jar with my uh, Queen Anne's Lace seeds in there. And just to show how easy this is to make your own tincture, I have a bottle of 100 proof vodka here. And all you'll do is cover the herbs with the vodka, like so. And now this is going to, once this um, is all together, I'm going to cover it up. There's a label on it already. I'm going to put this in a cool, dark place for six weeks. And I'm going to shake it every day. And after the six weeks, strain it out. And then you're going to have yourself a wild carrot seed tincture that you can use for many of the things that I talked about. And that's it. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about this one, because this is a great plant and I love it so much. <laughs> Kyle, why don't you take a swing at it? Cool. I will. Um, yeah, it is. This is a really mercurial plant. It's a trickster plant. It really it is. likes to grow on the roads, which is a, you know, travel mercury liminal space. Yeah, not on the road, but like I see it on the side of the road all the time. Right. Yeah. And you're, yeah, you're hitting, hitting on the, the, the cave, the, the nest returning to the nest. Here's, here's the, here's the tricky thing. My experience is that this plant is also great for helping a woman become more fertile. So there, there you have it. You can take a smaller dose over a longer period of time and because it's working on a hormonal level, it's either setting things up in a in the right direction. Um, on, when it's working through the uh, pituitary gland, in in my the way that I see it in my consciousness, um, and uh, this is so yeah, it can it can go both ways, right? Uh, depending on the dose, I guess you could say. The other thing I I also would say thank you so much for that awesome um, discourse and. Um, uh, what what you're you, what you were just doing there? Demonstration of making a tincture. I have a demonstration too uh, of carrot. So this is the wild carrot. Now this is the wild progenitor of carrot, just like a coyote is the wild progenitor of a dog, and just like you can have varieties of dogs, like one that's like smushed face pug nose, and one that's like a Doberman Pinscher. You can have varieties of carrots but then the wild progenitor is this one in the wilderness and so because of that just like a dog you know a coyote in the wilderness is all mangy the root of this one could be all crooked it doesn't have the so here's my uh, chance can you make me big please here's my demonstration this is how to do an impression of bugs bunny using 
a variety of wild carrot. Uh, what's up, Doc? That's it. <laughs> nice. I'm just going to leave you big. You know, let's see that carrot some more. Yeah. Cart. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, the fertility connection, because rabbit, you know, Bugs money eating a cart. My parents went to Ireland and they, every time now that there's like carrots on the menu when we're doing dinner as a family, they call it cart or <laughs> cart soup. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the rabbits, you know, the whole phrase breeding like rabbits and car- carrots being in cartoons eaten by rabbits. That's the thing I found in the folklore of ancient Scotland that they dug up wild carrots in late September. That's uh, maybe a little past Virgo season, but we're pretty close to it. And it was to honor St. Michael, the patron saint of the sea, but also as a fertility symbol where the Sunday before St. Michael's day, women would dig up the carrots and they would remove the soil in a triangle shape. And then they would tie three of these wild carrot bundles together with a red thread. So in bundles of three and present them to the men and uh, the folklore maybe represented a maiden mother crone, you know, the th- using the three symbolism in this ritual. And uh, then later the church applied it to father, son, Holy ghost <laughs> just took the women right out of it. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, people have uh, applied this to fertility in folklore ritual apparently going way back so you're right on the money there kyle i like that it goes both ways mercurial aspect like you always see that uh when you see it being able to be be used for like literally opposite purposes (laughs) and it's the same plant that's definitely mercury yeah totally and um I wanted to give reference to to some of the information I found about the wild carrot. It's from the zine. It's called Reclaiming Our Ancient Wisdom. This is a zine all about herbal abortion and the history of it. And this is some really lovely literature that our, our really good friend gave this to me a handful of years ago. Um, but it's it's a really... Um, it goes into depth in depth about procedures and things like that. And one of the things my uh, friend let me know about um, who is an herbalist local to this area where we're at is that if you are choosing to use wild carrot to prevent implantation, what one of the really important things about it is that if you start doing it by like, say, chewing the seeds, which is one of the ways you can do it, you want to do that the whole entire time. You, you want to just pick one modality or if you're going to pick the t- tincture, you do the tincture and it's for seven, you know, you you do it for seven days. Um, And like I said, look into protocols if you're interested in that, but that is, that's one of the more important aspects of it. So, or you could do it with tea as well. So whatever you're going to do, you got to stick with that one thing. Um, Just wanted to do, to say that little tidbit for everybody as well. Thanks. So I got a, I got a big weave uh, coming through on that, uh, on that image on the, on the, everything we just learned and i feel like mr fucking black pill all the time like we're trying to uplift souls and here i am talking about buttholes and and crazy halftime shows uh but i but i i go into the darkness to bring back lots of gifts and offerings uh so 
uh, forgive the momentary darkness that I have to uh, prove my words with here. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, she's the, uh, the justice. They are in for life. And she wears the roughly, the roughly, that is the sign of the wealthy, this, this bib that they're still wearing. And it's a bib. And it's a sign of the wealthy, of course. Um, now, uh, with our going way out in left field, her death was absolutely the choice death for everything that she represents. She dies on the Feast of Sekhmet. Sekhmet is she who has her paw in the ointment jar. And if anybody cares to, you can go look at her official wiki page. She's got her paw in the ointment jar. If you look up her book, Meow in Words. Oh, wait, no. My Own Words. She's big up in Sekhmet with this cat implication. And on the cover of the book is like a little herb in the corner. On the cover of her book is some strange herb. I like to think it's catnip. <laughs> Might be something else. But all of this takes on a very fascinating light in the aspect of this abortive potential of that herb, right? As that was part of her, her choice form of stochastic terrorism was to be like the queen of all aborted babies. And I think they flaunt it too for psychological purposes. Pretty far out gross stuff. Um, um, oh, but I wanted to mention that again with the virgin and the not taking on the, not in the baby, not going into the wall. And in olden days, in the old ways, the, the ancestral roots, nothing goes to waste. Nothing goes to waste. So while we do get upset and I, I get triggered just talking about, you know, that material and makeup and vaccines and all the gross things we did with it uh, over in the modern day. Originally, that material would go into the garden to the choice plant, you know, return it to the earth because it will because it makes for wonderful fertility. And there's something sacred of, in, about being in touch with that being a part of that process one-on-one uh, -on -one as the individual, whereas today everything is so industrialized and removed. Um, so the signs and the symbols of that wealthy, the roughly bib that she's wearing, uh, it just calls out uh, this Queen Anne's lace. And also, I think it's strangely appropriate, the Anne in Greek, that's the sim, that's the, that's Aenea, that's nine. And so again, we're in this vertigo. Where the, the you know the child didn't take to the wall, so there's uh, there's an abstinence in that, uh, and then also there's the secret keepers uh, holding your tongue is being a virgin. Uh, so there's a lot behind uh, these midwives who need to be very discreet about what they know. Some people would get all up in arms about uh, what that woman knows how to kill a baby with herbs. Fuck that, you know what I mean? That's, people, yeah, witchcraft burn. People Done. go, they go nuts. So you got to hold your tongue about these things that you know. And then I also, I want to say uh, big up to Polly in the chat. Is it true that this is a close relative to Hemlock? Because Socrates. It's, it's so close. It's so close that yeah. the, the idea is that you have to identify 
the queen has hairy legs. Like that's one of the markers. So you could say, you look up the, 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 <laughs> yeah. you look up the stem and if it's He's hairy, in the corner. If it's, if it's hairy, then that's a, a good sign. If it's smooth, then, you know, that's uh that would be an, an indication that you might uh, execute yourself by pointing up to the heavens. Right. You're thinking what I'm thinking. You're yeah. thinking what I'm thinking. I'm that thinking. Fi- yeah, I'm thinking that. The final scene, that final scene when he's taking the hemlock, he's showing his legs. He's showing his legs. Well, okay, so Polly and I got this, I mean, a million ways to prove that Socrates did not really die. There's a thousand uh, reasons to believe that, you know, that if you read Socratically, if you can see between the lines, and you're going to find out that he faked he faked that shit. And in fact, that uh, justice is is uh, only the appearance for the sake of the people. That would be a very mercurial thing to do. Yeah, yeah, man, that's super exciting. So, yeah, the fact that it's related to Hemlock and Socrates is showing off his legs. You're telling me that you got to know the difference by recognizing the hairy legs. I think they were sim- uh, signaling maybe a switcheroo on the herbalist. Uh, the poisoner seemed to be young and inexperienced uh, in his final moments. So all of this is leading to a f- fabulous mystery that is the seed of Gnosticism, by the way. So- Socrates' last words is the seed of Gnosticism in all religions. What a good tease. Hey, <laughs> hey Slick, just want to mention to uh, holding your tongue reminds me of the fact that uh, the hermit card, the Thoth version, it looks as though the hermit itself is a subliminal tongue which I've kind of been saying for uh, a couple of years now. So there's that weave as well. And once it's pointed out, it looks very deliberate, right? Cat got your tongue. (laughs) Totally, man. Awesome. Great, great weave, y'all. I love it. I'm excited for the next one because things are going to take a surprisingly catty turn on the next herb, (laughs) at least in my opinion. I've got some stuff on it. But I want to take a second and... Thank Rachel for the super chat. Marty Leeds of the Gnostic Church and Academy. Thank you for your super chat. And then over on the Rockfin side, some kind super chats from Ben Braith. Braithwaite? Yes, that's how I say that. And he says that the 26th of August is his solar return. So very good on you, buddy. Thank you for the super chat and happy happy birthday. Jason and Logan also super chatted. So I just wanted to acknowledge all those great supporters. And Gabe, show the shirt you're wearing right now. Show everyone what you got on. I'll make you big. We're making everybody big frequently. So I'm dropping a link in the chat, but this is off my merch store. That's some of my digital arts put onto a shirt. So check out the link in the chat if you might want to. I mean, <laughs> Blitzkrieg Bear was telling me you should shill that shit more often. I didn't even know you had all that on there. So nice. me. It's me shilling at uh, the merch store. Check it out. There's some good stuff on there, especially if you're wanting a, a hoodie as the weather starts to cool off. I really like the Interverse Lightning hoodie design. I wear that all the time. Sweet. Uh, can I, while, we're, while we're between topics, can I just convey a message to Rose if she's in the chat? <laughs> sure, buddy. I'll be quick. I'll be really quick. I just listened to uh, Crow 777's most recent uh, this morning and uh, there's some kind of hullabaloo about in October, there's going to be a, a signal going out to all the cell phones. And they're talking about, you know, I'm going to put my cell phone away and not be around when that signal comes out. 
Uh, but the timing of it hits a chord for me because we in October we will be under Hercules uh, in October. And in that time, there is a window for the uh, the double terminated torrid meteor showers, which is very sacred. That is Descartes. That is the, the mind-body split. Descartes is Auriga the charioteer. The double terminated meteor shower is coming out of Auriga and Perseus, and that is a crucial cutoff between the body and the fire, between the Taurus and the Aries. And so this double terminated meteor shower is also encoded in the Herkimer diamonds, which are integral to the cell phones, which are harvested from the underneath the Bident family, that plutocratic uh, uh, hoarder of precious alloys and uh, earth metals. Um, but that double terminated meteor shower that will be taking place when they're uh, sending some sort of signal, probably split tongue, two different realities to depending on your uh, demographics, that that is happening under Hercules during that meteor shower is so meaningful because the double terminated torrid meteor shower is the insemination nine months away from the Aeon godchild of the Zodiac who's born on January 6th. So all of the ingredients of a very grand spell that is only perceivable in 2020 hindsight is all there to bear. And as soon as Crow said they're going to mess with the phones on October, I think, 2nd, which is a 2-2, he mentioned the 22 of it all, is a birthing ritual of the new godchild Aeon of the Zodiac, J6. So uh, I just wanted to put a lot more context into what Crow put out with, I don't know what that's all about. I got a real good feeling what it's all about. Um, and so I'm going to actually take a, I am, I'm going to take a nice hiatus from the phone, maybe the, for the whole week and I'll watch all the zombies get activated. <laughs> Turn your phones off on that day. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. Well, Rose is advising you to shoot her an email or something after the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe three days. Meteor showers are a three day long period. Uh, and this is the rule of Kalel at its greatest. Everybody wants to be exact. Everybody wants to know that what's right and what's wrong. Everybody's stuck in the in the Occam's razor with Dar Darwin over in the left brain. Meteor showers take three days to pass. Nature always works with wiggle. It's never it. perfectly precise the same every time. It's That's what's up. Yep. So yeah, make sure to get the wiggle room too. I had one more thought about Queen Anne's lace. Sorry. Oh no problem. <laughs> Let me bring up that slide again. Okay, so we're just this, we're so jam packed tonight. It's really really fun. Yeah, it, there's so much to say, and I was like just looking at my notes. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So this flower, it like looks like a star cluster to me, right? Like it looks like a star. It is an in the umbel family, which means that it looks like an umbrella. I've got some fresh flowers right here, but it has like an umbel shape. Now I think that this is symbolic of the firmament. And I think that there's some sort of firmament, firmament, um, sacred center, pole star information embedded in this, in this flower. And that is one of the things I wanted to make sure to say. Um, and I don't know what you guys think about that, but to me, when I look at this, I do see it's like the umbrella of the universe or something like that. And, um, it's really interesting too, because 
when it's closing, when those seeds close off, it like it's like an umbrella that was blown by the wind upside down, like backwards when the umbrella kind of breaks and everything comes the other way. So anyway, there's like this toroidal um, in and out sort of symbolism that I see in this flower very strongly. So just wanted to throw that one in there before we <laughs> move on. <laughs> Thanks. 100%. Totally. <laughs> and, and even the sacred geometry as it moves, spiraling towards this, that center point right there, too. Totally. You know, the Madonna lily is going to be some good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I feel like uh, this flower is just so awesome and potent and it's so beautiful and i just see this and i'm i think of the feminine and um a lot of the symbolism coming from this is with the virgin mary so this is a symbol of of purity um and early christians actually dedicated this flower to the virgin mary as a symbol of purity and i also think that it's just a goddess flower in general so i think that it can be associated it's usually associated with Juno and Astarte is another one that is associated with the Madonna Lily. Um, I Mario, I think, can speak a little bit more on the aspect of the virgin birth if he feels like it, because I think it's a really great connection with this flower. And that is like more of his wheelhouse. Yeah, so I've made a video on this before, but uh, it's really interesting. There are a number of paintings and uh, myths that basically allude to the idea that a woman, a virgin, a maiden is given a flower. Oftentimes it is a lily and that this is the catalyst for her to have a virgin birth. So um, I could be mistaken on who's giving it to uh, to Mary, but um, there are paintings where she's literally being given this flower or sometimes she's holding it. And um, I just think it's a really fascinating sort of connection. Um, there's kind of a deeper implication that I'm still digging through that there's actually uh, an association with this flower and self gratification, self love, and that that was also a catalyst uh, for her to have a virgin birth without a partner. Hey, Mario. And so to me, yeah, just really quick, one quick comment. Uh, sure. When the king of the Franks converted to Christianity, the myth is that the Virgin Mary came from heaven and gave him a lily to symbolize God granting him the authority or divine right of Kings as a Christian King. So oh. not only is she the Virgin receiving the lily, but there's myths of her giving the lily. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, in both yeah, ways. I could totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. For sure. Um, and so to me, the larger sort of implication is that um, perhaps the universe is feminine, perhaps she, there is no such thing as having a partner. It reminds me very much of the Gnostic sort of belief system, right? Sophia and the Demiurge and things like that. So uh, this idea that the feminine universe, the primordial mother never had a partner because no such partner ever existed until she created it, until she birthed it. And this gets into some of that veil symbolism that, you know, veiled within her was this masculine sort of creation, uh, the light of the world, the uh, solar child, if you will. So that's a little bit about that. And then also it's believed that this is where the fleur-de-lis perhaps comes from, flower of the lily. So there's a few different beliefs on the fleur-de-lis, which I've gotten into before, but uh, it does make sense that it would be associated with this symbol. And it would make sense that the French would adopt the fleur-de-lis so heavily um, because there's a heavy French uh, black Madonna 
undercurrent that is like absolutely massive and incredibly fascinating. So that's a little bit about that. Well, the fleur de lis is a big interest of mine. That symbol, it's like the triple crown symbol. And uh, it's interesting that you, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> I was going to bring it up. And so now I'm just going to riff on it before we let Michelle take over talking about the actual herb. Because this fleur de lis, here it is shown with Charlemagne in a painting by, gosh, I can't remember who this is by, uh, Albrecht Durer. Okay. So there's, you see this symbol all over. Here it is in an ancient Welsh king. It's on his staff. Uh, Huel Dada, I think, or Huel the Good. And that's supposed to be from the mid 13th century. It's all over the place. Here's an interesting connection with this symbol that uh, may relate to bees or flies from uh, the tomb of Childeric, a Frankish leader in. Roman uh, in the northern part of Roman Gaul, an old, old symbol that they found there in his tomb. Here's the seal of Philippa Auguste, and this is a coin supposedly, allegedly, a, you know, a thousand years old. But I think that this is the type of thing where they say that the minted the coin is minted with the image and likeness of a ruler, but it's really a goddess or a god figure. I I feel like that is constantly happening with old coins. So I think this is like a Kybel type uh, figure, the goddess of fortresses, uh, St. Edward's crown with the fleur de lis on it. So I just wanted to show that it's related to the triple crown of Baal, really important symbol. But in terms of the question as why are, <laughs> why are these called lilies when they look more like a, a flower called an iris? That's a, a, a very good question worth asking. And it's, it might be because the Franks lived around the river named Lys, L-I-S. And that could be, and that's, that river had a lot of, uh, a lot of irises around it. So they already were like associated with that symbol, potentially the Gauls. Uh, this is according to Pierre Augustin Bastier, <laughs> des Savages, 18th century naturalist. But I find that interesting that, um, you know, this, this shape, because of the, the name Lise, the river, they're uh, calling it the Fleur de Lise and now saying that the, you know, and now the belief is that this symbol is lilies or Lise. And then you also got to throw into the mix that the uh, Phoenician name for a lion is lease. That's basically how it's said in the Phoenician. And believe it or not, believe it or not, Gabe, you perk up your ears, my friend. The lily that we're about to talk to talk about is toxic to cats. So if the royal, yeah, his face, yeah. So if his, uh, you know, if the royals are yeah. secretly encoding this lily symbolism, and it has to do with the divine right of rulership. Is this is this a secret way of keeping the knowledge that the you know think about the the gates the gatos the cats guarding the threshold of the palaces and castles and the the lease the lion is this is this basically encoding the idea that the uh, the commoners were intentionally kept polluted with the toxoplasmosis uh, parasite and that the royals 
had the knowledge of not having the toxoplasmosis as a way to separate themselves from the public and, and have a, you know, a leg up among many others. And, and then Dylan, of course, Jesus's name in the Talmud is Jesus bar Panther, which it means son of Panther and the Panther symbolism with Bacchus is replete, but I'll, I'll stop there. I just yeah. needed to put all that out there. So, so Gabe could have a toxoplasmosis mind blow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. Thank you so kindly. Um, you know, this this the Florida lease thing goes it just weaves for days right it's a show in and of itself uh, which has happened and still could happen more uh there uh there is a strong uh channel of logic about different cultures actually considering north to be uh different directions and so the idea that uh like the French would actually put out maps where the uh, the compass on the map is uh, falsely pointing north in the opposite direction. And that is a uh, public facing deceit uh, that they would implement uh, intentionally so that other people would uh, think they had the, the map and end up in the opposite direction exactly. So that makes it the flower of the lie. And so the compass, the legend of the map is lying to you, but only the generals know this. Right. So all Wait, the under- it's lying to you because means lion in Phoenician. It's lion. That's right. That's right. And so also the lily flower is of um, uh, the Mayflower. Uh, and again, and May brings us to Taurus and the five point Venus aspect. But when you bring uh, Taurus and Leo together, not only is it the two uh, fixed corners of the of the spring and summer, but it's also where X marks the spot on the Analima. The lily and the Leo. Where am I? There we go. They meet. It's the crossing point. Here we're entering Taurus, and there we're leaving Leo. And so the secret of secrets is to know the map of the Analima. But this is uh, tax day on the rise, and it's Vulcanalia on the fall. Oh, man. So, yeah, converging the two aspects, the Taurus and the Leo, is telling you that you've got to rotate your thinking. You got to rotate. You got to keep on the move. Bostrophedon, reading in both directions at all times. Yeah, and that gives uh, some indication to us that maybe the woman on the strength card is the Empress rather than Virgo. Uh, Same woman, in my opinion. But oh, I see fair, your point for enough. sure. I, I, the Queen yeah. of Heaven, either way. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's maybe her in different forms, made in Mother Crone, that whole chestnut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Slick, I don't think you explicitly said it, but uh, the idea that these maps, that the northern point on the compass rose would be indicated with the fleur-de-lis. So you would see a lot of these older maps or even a compass itself, and the northern point is the only point that has a fleur-de-lis as its arrow. Nice. So that to me is very fascinating. Yeah. That is a symbol that just is unbelievably hyperdimensional. Good work, oh, oh yeah okay now let's talk about herbs <laughs> itself because i'm sure there's the, so much gravy in this plant well this is great because i had a feeling that this one was going to be like that i wanted all of us to be able to chime in with everything because there's so much going on with it and the symbolism is so deep but kind of going off of slick's point of like this kind of being a flower of taurus because you know it is an easter lily that's also what this is known as and so i just think about rebirth after winter and then 
sometimes those first flowers of the spring, they have, um, I find that there is like a yellow white thing going on. Like I think of trillium is, is one of them that comes to mind. That's always white. Um, but anyway, um, springtime is something that these are, these flowers are associated with. Now, if you were to use this lily medicinally, which you can, but, um, I'll say there are, I think that there's better options, but you could use it if you were in like a pinch or something, because this, this medicine, this lily, lilies in general, they really don't like to be uprooted. Um, and they really like to be planted somewhere where they can be left kind of to their own devices to do their thing, to take care of themselves. And I find it very interesting because I think that there's like some weave with like, uh, she's an independent woman. She obviously needs help and wants help and sometimes might need extra fertilization by you or you might need to attend to her for some reason. But I think there's some kind of strong feminine, um, independent energy coming from the lily in that sense. And with this lily in particular, you kind of can't see it in this photo, but, um, these stalks are, um, they grow up long, tall and straight. Um, and so she's just very, she's very, um, confident. She stands up straight. She has a nice straight uh, stem that holds up these beautiful flowers. Um, and she needs to be strong because these uh, lilies, anyone who's had lilies, they, they're kind of heavy. There's like a weight to them um, when they're all in bloom like that. But if you were to use the root medicine, which you can, like I said, uh, you're going to get mucilage from this root. Uh, you're also going to, there's demulcent properties to it, which we've talked about before, but are softening. They're going to be soothing to irritate tissues. Uh, so a lot of times this the roots can be used and boiled in water or milk. And then that water or milk can be used topically or internally. That's something that can, you know, be of uh, service to inflammation. Or if you had like an ulcer, this would be great medicine for that or a tumor of sorts or some kind of growth happening. You could use the lily to kind of calm the uh, swelling or the inflammation. Uh, kind of like the wild carrot, this loves, uh, it just goes deep into the soil, uh, loves the sandy fertile soil again, which I thought was another interesting weave with the Queen Anne's lace and the Madonna lily that they both kind of like the same um, same types of soil um, to be put into. Um, and the, it now, right now, would be a great time to plant lily balms uh, or bulbs, sorry, if you wanted to have them in the spring. Planting your bulbs, uh, as a lot of people know, fall, autumn is a really great time for that, just like garlic. And then um, it'll come up in the springtime. Garlic will be in the summer, but lilies will come up in the spring. I think that's all I really had on the Madonna lily, but the next slide, I just wanted to show some other lilies. So um, on the left here, we have lily of the valley, which actually isn't technically a lily. Um, it's actually a plant that's in the asparagus family. So, but it has the name lily of the valley. And there's a lot of interesting connections here. Um, the, the, the flowers of this are actually connected to, um, the Virgin Mary's tears, um, the tears that she cried while she watched, um, her son be crucified. That's one of the, one of the legends with it. So as her tears fell, these lilies were um they blossomed and then also they're sometimes connected to eve's tears when she was kicked out of the garden of eden as she cried the uh lily of the valley popped up 
Um, and so that this is actually has similar medicine to the plant foxglove, um, which is usually used uh, for heart uh, conditions, particularly to help um, bring regulation to the heart. Um, but it can be toxic as well. So you have to be careful with the dose. Um, there's other things about Lily of the Valley um, that I could go into, but I also want to hear everybody else's thoughts. In the middle here, we have a peace lily, uh, which is kind of more of like a water plant. You can actually plant a peace lily actually in like a fish bowl or um, any bowl or vessel that carries water and it will root in there and it really loves to be in the water actually. And then on the right here, we have the kala lily, which I really, really love. And I just see so much fertility <laughs> symbolism in these flowers. I mean, just looking at them is, is quite striking. Um, and I just really love this plant. Uh, we all right now too. our peace lily that I've had for many years and it's so huge is is uh, putting out um, a flower right now, too, which I thought was pretty appropriate for Virgo. Oh, man, alive. This is so fun. <laughs> this is so much fun. I love what we do, guys. I love what we do. It's so enriching. I have a quick question before, Gabe. I, I know you have a lot to, oh to my go God. off of, but. You know, to go back to the toxoplasmosis thing and these lilies being toxic to cats, to cats being the carrier of toxoplasmosis. What about the the secondary name Candidum? You know, is this a, a plant that could be used in any way to assist with parasitic bacteria in the body like Candida? Hmm. That's a good question. I it don't a know a hundred percent. What about internal purity? Just wondering. Right. You know? Right. And that uh, candida is also uh, brutal honesty. Right. To be oh, candid. Yeah, candid. Yeah. To, to be candid can be brutal. Uh, can be brutally honest. And that or can to be, be you know observed when not expecting to be observed. Candid camera. Oh yes, yes. I don't know. Yes. Maybe that's not actually a definition. Maybe it's just candid cameras because it's honest. <laughs> but right, that's right. interesting. Back to the Virgo element of like not necessarily wanting to be in the spotlight, wanting to observe but not be observed. Yes. So uh, uh, I want to uh, foxglove makes me think of um, F sharp and G flat are uh, two ways to uh, to express the the devil's tone so when i hear f and g uh i hear discord uh in an interesting way and you were saying that it can be you know used as a as a, a preventative or a, a an an excess and also before i forget uh everybody should be really careful about this lilies are poisonous to cats i uh, worked at whole foods for a couple decades and i wrapped a lot of flowers in the produce department for folks and I would uh, get halfway through wrapping the flowers, you know, making small talk with a customer. And I would say, you know, uh, you don't happen to have cats, do you? And they would say, oh, yeah, I got lots of cats. And I'd be like, uh, well, and then I'd have to break it to them that these lilies are, they're horribly poisonous. The effects on cats, uh, particularly the tiger lilies, the ones that are um, really pronounced, uh, they stain white. They stain like you cannot get it out if it stains your clothes. But Here's the interesting thing. Cats are not attracted to it. It doesn't have any natural lure to the cat. It would have to be an accident that it got on the cat and the cat happened to clean itself. There's no attraction. Uh, but if it does happen, it is really sad. So 
uh, I would then like go the extra distance and snip off the pollen of the flowers to give it to the uh, customer with, so I could have a clean conscience, you know? And so uh, it's not highly likely. There's a reason why we don't hear about it very often, but if it does happen, it can be really devastating. Uh, so I wanted to put all, all of that out. And then also that I want to mention that other Lily kind, they look like an ear. Doesn't it look like a, like a Spock's ear that uh, the uncanny one. Doesn't that look like a Vulcan ear? Uh, oh, and, yeah. And a Yoni, I guess, as Definitely well. Definitely a Yoni look. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you just say that you circumcised the thing so that you can have a clean conscience? <laughs> Dude. Wow. wow. All right. I, wow. I see. I see. Now I see where the priest class is coming from. <laughs> <laughs> I used scissors. I didn't use my teeth. <laughs> And isn't it interesting that the Florida Lee symbol actually can look like one of those circumcision tools as well? Um, oh, damn. Yeah. Oh. Yikes. Uh, okay, I, I really got to put that uh, comment that Rachel just put into my head. That was excellent comment. Um, oh, yeah, let me read that. She says, Indita will try and tell women when they're not with a great partner. But how and much then Kelly mentioned that? that it's fungal, not bacterial. So thank you for that. Uh, the only thing I have to add to this is just a little local Hoosier. The when when the Hoosiers think of the word Lily, we're thinking of the great philanthropist, uh, pharmaceutical baron Eli Lilly, who built uh, his massive obelisk boner in the middle of Indianapolis to honor the war those who have fallen in war and there's like a, a museum inside. So it's all of this. It's kind of like the Lily encoded again, where you have like the, the phallus inside of the, um, the Yoni, but in, in this case of this corrupted, this corruption, that's uh, this architecturally on the, 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 the whole city of Indianapolis, this, the center, the, like this, this is like America's circle city, right? This is all the car race cars go around. Everything is going around this phallus that has its Yoni on the inside of it. It's really crazy. <laughs> so that's Eli Lilly. Yeah. Which uh, the initials would be EL, right? So there's like a God complex hiding out right there. I, uh, I just am realizing that when I was a kid, we had a cat that my sister and I, knowing nothing about any of this, we named our ki our kitten Lily. So that's interesting. And the funny thing about that kitten Lily is that she never really quite got the hang of living <laughs> in a house with humans. And my parents elected to uh, send her elsewhere eventually. Mainly for all the peeing on stuff that she's not supposed to. But <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Never thought about the cat being named Lily. Like, was that name toxic to the cat? <laughs> Not a good match. You know, I'm seeing uh, an anagram right off the top of my head. There's a Anna Lima in Madonna Lily. Anna Lima, and then uh, there's a remaining uh, almost delay. Anna Lima delay. No, Anna Lima delay. I don't know. Just spitballing. Oh, yeah. You could rearrange Madonna Lily to basically like a fanatic anagram of Anna Lima. Wow. Nice. So real quick, uh, I just wanted to bring up the classic correspondence 
that has been kind of echoed throughout time many times over, and that's linking the virgin or maiden or queen with the feline serpent or dragon. And so I put out a presentation called uh, the, the Virgin and the Lion. And uh, I think you're seeing that in the strength card, like I've brought up, you know, a handful of times and everything else. But it's really interesting that this connection is there. And of all places, you really see it all come together in a Madonna music video called Like a Virgin, right? And so in that video, the first time you see her, she's leaning up against a pillar. And so these three things have been kind of like fused together many times over. So the pillar, the maiden slash queen, uh, virgin, and also the lion. And so if you guys recall, you maybe don't, but when I saw it, I was like, wow, I remember this as a child, but... I never put together the symbolic threads until now, but she's actually being pursued by a lion in that music video. And even one of the guys that's going to take her virginity is wearing a lion mask. And so the first time you see a lion, he's passing right behind a pillar as well. And so it's very deliberate symbolism because this really goes way, way, way back. In my personal opinion, the pillar is very much in line with the world axis. And as I've been saying that there's a heavy world axis, uh, Northern sky correspondence with the goddess. And so when you see the maiden or queen or goddess with the lion, symbolically, she might as well be with a serpent, which reminds me of Eve and the serpent and, uh, you know, uh, paradise right and being in the center of this uh, world tree or whatever and so uh, i just thought i would throw all that out there because you, you can see these three things threaded together um as an example it's not uncommon to see queens with lions embedded into their throne right and so, yeah mm-hmm. exactly exactly mm-hmm. right so there's a lot of examples of this throughout history thinking of lilith and polymath is saying lilu sumerian female de- demon right Man, we've you know, opened up a gravy portal on this one. We really have. We we really have. So uh, I'm looking also L and M are conjoined in the, uh, you know, in a very sacred space. Uh, it's uh, the between the 12 and the 13 in the alphabet, right? The liminal space of the alphabet. Elemen. Liminal elements, right? Right. Uh, so in my uh, fiction of Aries, L and M fall in between uh, Cancer and Leo. Can you can you embiggen me again? So let's see. You see the L and the M. That would be uh, one hundred degrees and one hundred and ten degrees. I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Ninety. No. 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 Nope. That's one hundred and twenty and one hundred and thirty degrees. So it's kind of a a three and a four quadrivium trivium code, the L to the M. But this is where the Hydra constellation combines with the lion and makes the Yaldabaoth. You know, people talk about the lion headed serpent God. Well, that's the Hydra constellation at the crown. The crown of the Hydra enters into Leo. Um, so I just wanted to kind of put all that together that even in my diction of Aries, the L and the M is meeting at the Britharona. The Barcelona is the crab snipping the lion. Barcelona is a, a lion crab encode. Uh, so that's a sacred point in a hundred thousand million different ways. I just wanted to point out that that's highly enigmatic. And this is also, again, the location in the painting of Socrates where he's receiving the crator, 
He's taking that sacred cup to drink the socially mandated poison. Significant for sure. People have said that that is uh, very much in line with the Demiurge and uh, the heliacal rising of uh, Sirius is at that time at the beginning of Leo, which is super significant, too. But yeah, good stuff, dude. Listen, man. That's all I got. All right. Great weave, y'all. Let's go on. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are two hours deep. Yeah. All right. Oats. Um, well, let's see here. On the picture on the left is a bunch of oat tops that I that I harvested from my friend's farm. Shout out Village Farmstead, who I picked up my CSA from my shop today. They drop it off at my shop. It's so awesome. And I get uh, organic grown oat tops and so this is the same plant vena sativa that you that you get that you know from places like oatmeal and oatmeal cookies um the the milky oat tops are one of the greatest nervous system remedies and then once uh once we're done with that then the stock itself is what is sold in commerce as oat straw it's typically what you could find Everything about the oat is going to be really, really, really nourishing to the nervous system. Now, I like, like we we're talking about this plant for a couple of reasons. We're talking about it because it's a Virgo plant, uh, because it's going to work on the nervous system. It's good food for, for the nerves, but also because it is encoded in the, uh, and I don't think we got to this yet, but it's encoded in the, uh, in the, um, What's it called? The the thing in the sky. Analima. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, and uh, there she is, uh, one hand holding a palm uh, on the horizon, and the other hand with the central star that we see in the constellation um, is Spica, from which we get the word spike of wheat. Maybe spike of wheat. I don't know, but it's it's uh, Spica is the star of the of the wheat. Sometimes it's called the corn. Sometimes it is also a reference to the oats. So when that star, when you start to see that star coming up right before um, the sun, uh, that's when you know it's time to harvest. And so that is a great way of coding all of this abundance of harvest and especially wheat and grains. So oats makes a lot of sense here. Um, However, When we're harvesting the oat tops, as you can see, the milky oat tops that are pictured here on the right, that is done earlier in June. This is the the ripe uh, top stage, but it's not the seed, which is what you get oatmeal from. Now, I'm going to give you just a little imagination about the doctrine of signatures of how this plant might be really helpful for uh, as a reproductive tonic. And uh, as a deeply, deeply nourishing reproductive tonic, it has got that white latex that when you squeeze it in your hands, it, it exudes out. That's the medicine right there. You can't get that from a dried oat top. It's got to be captured in its fresh stage. This is really important. So when the, when, the milk is, when the milk is in the oat, you have just like, just like a, a meteor shower, you have two, three days to go out there, stop what you're doing, get your buckets, put your hands in the, in the, uh, and, and uh, grab all of these milky oat seeds because you want to process them into medicine when they're still 
in that oat state or that milky stage. So that it carries that milky medicine. Um, as a medicine, the, the best way that I could describe milky oats or oats medicine in general is that it's deeply nourishing to the nerves. And I mean, like there are herbs that have a, they provide a direction to the body. And there are herbs that uh, give that, that t- take away a direction from the body. So just like you know, put that down, you're, it's causing you um, tension by holding it kind of a thing. Whereas nourishing herbs, the medicine is in the ability for the body to have more capacitance. That's the way I like to think of it. It's a capacitator. Um, it improves the capacity of your energy. So it's not stimulating. And it's not relaxing. It just has uh, more information so that your body can do what it's got to do. That makes this plan a really good ally for people who are going through addiction uh, and they are looking to quit their addiction. Well, the, the addiction serves a purpose for a lot of people because it is that, that outlet uh, to provide that you know excess whatever is coming in as the grounding capacity. So now we, if we take that away, it can really cause a lot of problems in people. So that's why uh, things, things like uh, uh, biofield tuning are so helpful. Things like nourishing herbs are so helpful, but especially oats. This is like perfect for um, people who are really, really burnt out or who have relied on something for a long time. Um, and one of the, the key constituents of this is silica. If you go, if you could go to the next slide, I think you could see maybe the oat straw. Uh, so this is the oats and the milky oats on it too. All right. Well, uh, it, silica in the plant, if you were to be able to look at this in the, in the sun, it would shine like a bunch of little crystals. That's because silica has as a crystalline structure, but is long strands put together. And that makes it so that as this plant blows in the wind, it does what we want to do when we're in the wind. Bend but not break. That's what silica gives us. It also gives us that electrical capacitance for um, this, this was the gravy was thick. So, so thick in your previous episode with Mr. Permi bear talking about adding silica to the soil to add to as a carrier of more information. And I just thought that makes so much sense to me is how oats and oat straw drinking an oat straw infusion. Like I was doing for tonight. Yeah, oats are like one of those foods where it's a little bit will give you a whole bunch of energy that'll last you a long time into the day as a breakfast food. I I think it it's not yeah, it it does. It's not that it gives you energy, it's that it it uh yeah, it's it's not that it 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 takes away energy robbing Peter to pay Paul like the coffin uh like the dark coffin coffee does. Um <laughs> it does and um and and this is why it's a, a great brain food. It's great for been studied a lot for people who might have uh, concerns about dementia and things like that because of the, the silica in there. I also think that it, silica is also a very Saturnian kind of um, element in that it is something that that uh, that allows boundaries as well. Um, so yeah, oats is oats is one of my very very most uh, used plants. In fact, I. Whenever I'm working with the nervous system and I don't know exactly which direction to go, I'm just going to lay down milky oats as a base, uh, as a tincture or as a infused vinegar or just oat straw and uh, mull on it for a little while until I get some inspiration. And that usually really improves the situation. So 
um, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great nervous system tonic. And, um, I really, it's just the thing about these Virgo herbs is that they can be so simple. Um, and it makes it actually even more difficult to describe because of their simplicity. Um, but they're very complex in how they work just like the Virgo itself. Right. It's really interesting. I see Venus hiding in that word. V-E-N-A-S. Yep. Is this just more for the context about Spica right here? Um, oh, this slide? Or is this for the next, yeah, the next item? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is just the next one up, I guess. Okay, we, can so, leave them to, yeah. we can leave them to it, though, because we we're... We can, yeah. Well, I want to add to the oats real quick, just that... Uh, you know, in terms of uh, Mario, listen well, <laughs> you'll like this one, that the the Germanic peoples, like as a, the German people in medieval times, they had this, uh, they had this practice of preserving the last remaining grain of the harvest. And, you know, maybe they were harvesting it around Virgo season, potentially, as Woden's share. And that was to solicit Woden's favor for the coming year. So this would apply to oats. This would apply to other grains as well, but definitely for oats. And what's interesting about this is that in the German tradition, uh, <laughs> the Odin was actually riding a wagon, Woden's wagon, they called it. And the four stars of Ursa Major were the four wheels of the wagon. And the three that descend from the corner were the tongue or the wane. So you know, a plow, a wagon now, Odin's wagon. And then just to like demonstrate the way this God and goddess figure in their uh, amorphous or uh, androgynous sense can shift from one to the other. Uh, the Danish people actually had a sim, like they actually would call this hell's steed as in the goddess hell, uh, and you know, hell is Helios <laughs> as well. I think that there's definitely a there there in terms of the dual. You know, I don't even like. I don't know if I think that it's like one replacing the other so much as I think it's like a dual symbol, and that the polar one is maybe the esoteric, and the solar is the exo. But the uh, there's like this Danish phrase of when somebody would survive something, like they were. Perhaps they like got the plague and they survived. And <laughs> the the phrase would be that they gave the person gave death a pack of oats when they survived something that they were supposed to have died. And uh, hell was riding about on a three legged horse, destroying men. And then the idea is you gave them gave hell a pack of oats <laughs> and you survive instead of being de destroyed by hell. So I feel like, in my opinion, there's a connection between Woden's wagon and appeasing Odin with the last grains of the harvest. And then in Germany and then the Danish people having this idea that to cheat death, you give death a pack of oats. You know, I mean, I can't draw a perfect receipt uh, given you know connection between the two, but I think there's a connection between the two because Odin is also, you know, he's the all father of Valhalla where the dead, he rules the dead. So I think in hell is, you know, the place, the underworld where the dead go as well. The 
difference being Valhalla is for the ones who fall in battle and hell is for everybody else. So I think there's a big connection there. And I think that like bribing, <laughs> bribing with oats is a, a funny connection to stave off death. And it makes perfect sense because what's coming after the harvest is hell. Hell is winter. It's the, the water winter side of the Zodiac. It's hell freezing over. So what? Um, yeah. And Dylan says oats are something that can be stored and will help you cheat death during winter. Exactly. Dude, that, that hits so hard for me. This, this image on the left that day. So I, one of the things I like to do is just, I like to go around and I like to taste the things I'm walking by. It helps me interact. Oh, this one is a little bit more bitter. This one's a little bit more sweet. Why is that? Oh, this one's got more sunlight. Okay. I, blah, blah, blah. So because this plant is, as you can see, it, uh, it's kind of spiky. And because it's really high in silica, it doesn't, it's rigid. The, this day, one of those things got lodged into my tonsils or something. Like it was stuck in there. And it elicited a healing response in me that was the most sick I've ever been. And I think it, and like, if I was, uh, this was a few years ago. So if I was into the germ theory paradigm, I would have maybe thought to myself, I think I have it. I better go get a test or something. Um, But instead I just laid there for like two weeks and I sweat it all out. And it was the most religious, crazy religious experience. And it was profoundly healing. And I loved it, but it was, it was as if I did not have one of those buckets for Odin. <laughs> I would have kicked it, if you know what I'm saying. It was, it was gnarly, dude. And uh, wow, man, I'd never thought of that. That's crazy, though. So this picture was taken by a very different uh, person now because a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my traumas fled me that that the following day. That's crazy. World Chocolate Bald Beauty Day says, compared to cow tits, goat tits resemble this oat head. Maybe the name encodes Satan goats. Funny you should say that, because another thing that the German folklore had was the Hofferbach. And the Hofferbach was the the oat goat. <laughs> and, you know, depending on where you were, obviously folklore shifts from region to region. But instead of leaving an offering to Odin, you would need to leave out an offering to the Hofferbach. The oat, the oat goat. Otherwise, he might destroy all your crops instead of just taking the offering. And they had like, you know, they had the rye hound, the barley wolf, the they had the April ox, the grain cow. They had a whole menagerie, if you will, of uh, spirits that they needed to appease. But it's interesting in terms of the the Hofferbach, the oat goat, because it makes you wonder. Is this a, you know, in the entire practice, is this practice some kind of precursor or leftover of the idea of the tithe to the priests? And is the Hofferbach in any way related to Bacchus? You know, the goat and, uh, and Mercury symbolism obviously goes together and Bacchus is a mercurial figure. So I just want all that to be in the mix, too. Thanks for that comment. World Chocolate Bald Beauty Day. <laughs> the oat big goat time. big time that's uh, definitely a satan goat <laughs> the oat goat so uh, uh a, a really interesting picture is forming in my mind around this um 
So there's a secret society called the Asafel Society. They took what uh, Nietzsche put down and they mixed it with Marquis de Sade. And it came out with this crazy concoction of philosophy that I do not recommend for anybody. It makes me uncomfortable. That's saying a lot. But they, uh, Bataille, Bataille, I'm saying his name, it's all Frenchy, but this guy, Bataille, there's a silent L in there. Um, he has uh, expounded on the accursed share. And the accursed share is something that uh, folks who are of the earth, <laughs> the normal-minded people, don't think this way. It's outside of what we consider logical. But the accursed share is something that the uh, people in very high places, they kind of have to keep it on the down low, how much excess they practice. And if we found out how much extra they have on hand, then we would, our resentment would build up to a, uh, to a dangerous degree. Um, so this accursed share is, um, has been implemented in what is called potlatch culture. And potlatch culture is, yeah, the stoa was on my mind too. Big ups, big ups, buddy. Um, so um, uh, the potlatch, potlatch culture is a fascinating thing. And if you read about it, it makes it sound like Eskimos, uh, you know, kissing and doing each other favors. And it's very charming when you look through the Wikipedia lens. Uh, but they had to make that shit illegal in Canada. Because they are, they were operating on very dangerous levels with this old practice of taking the excess and investing it into like a dead end operation, and then somebody who uh, you're nepotistically connected with on the back channels, uh, one of your buddies is going to scratch your back. They come in and they sabotage your project for you. They sacrifice your accursed share for you. And this is all done in equity on the down low. Everybody's hands are clean. But it got to such a degree that Canada had to make that shit illegal. And so when you look into what potlatch is, they're like, it makes it sound all cutesy wootsy. And like, this is what the Inuits used to do. And we had to, it kind of got out of hand because little tribal battles, they make it sound all small, small potatoes. I think we should think about what potlatch and why it was made illegal on a bigger level and maybe how they've circumvented the illegality of it still today. So a lot of this collapsing of the economy and, you know, Sam Tripoli is like, it's not about making money. It's not about uh, uh, profits, you know. Uh, in fact, what it might be about and the reason why it looks so illogical is that they're working through the accursed share. And there's way more behind my words, but uh, I just want to point out that a lot of the shit that doesn't make any sense might have everything to do with the accursed share. And that is, uh, has its roots in Odin worship and NATO in reverse is all time. And that's what they call it in France, which we've been talking about a lot. <laughs> Mager, mega weave there, man. I believe we've talked about that before. The amount of gold and wealth in the world that may be cursed for various reasons and uh, there's there's a there there there's definitely a there there real quick i just wanted to uh weave on uh some of the germanic stuff that you're mentioning chance and then also to dylan's point regarding grains getting you through the winter so there's an old 
older Germanic um, seasonal symbol system. They there's four symbols, one for each season, and they're all very interesting because they're all heavily encoded. And so to me, actually, symbolically, every single one really does kind of epitomize the season itself. And the the symbol for uh, winter looks like a little storage unit. It actually looks like a little facility, a little building, and there's these little dots inside of it. And that's kind of the bulk of the symbol itself. And so what it's been said is that uh, those are actually, it's a storehouse or it's a granary, essentially, you know, and that this is what's going to get you through those tough times, you know, during the winter. So it reminds me of Saturn as well. Saturn, you know, playing a big part, obviously, you know, with winter and winter symbolism and stuff like that. And just kind of having, um, you know, something that's kind of contained and restricted and people are going to be indoors as well, you know, so everything uh, moves within, I think is kind of uh, partly what it's being, you know, kind of conveyed there. And then the other thing I was just going to mention regarding goats and oats or goats and grains, uh, it makes me think of like pan and it makes me think of Capricorn and there's definitely a grain thing there. So uh, pan is associated with wheat as well even pan, pan, bread, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of my favorite paintings uh, for what it's worth of pan is him playing his flute in a field of wheat. And uh, it just kind of perfectly captures his essence, I think. So there's something to be said about the goat oat thing for sure. Yeah, buddy. The fact that corn can mean horn and it means a seed and it means radiance which is it wraps up so many things in in one phonetic QRN KRN. Right. Who, who's KRN? Kronos. <laughs> That's Do you guys remember in uh, Twin Winter. Peaks where, where the guy got um, possessed? He was the 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 tell the the sign of his possession was him singing Mares he dotes and dozy dotes and little lambs he divey. So he was just talking about eating oats and eating oats and eating oats. A kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? And then uh, the scythe for harvest, right? You know, with Saturn and and all that stuff. So yeah, there's a lot to chew on there. And the uh, ivy is the is the the choice wreath of uh, Dionysus, uh, which brings us back to the pan again. The uh, playing that pan flute. Pan being in the middle of the field all by himself uh, in that twilight in between stage, calling forth the animals of the wilderness to come and join him in festivity. That is the morning star bringing out the party so we can all get down at night. Mario, I don't know if you caught me bringing this up whenever I was covering some Orlinda stuff, but I just wanted to put Crodo on your radar, the Germanic Kronos holding the Mariner's wheel. And he's got the Aquarian bucket and he's standing on the fish. Crodo. That's right. I did. I saw that with you guys and uh, Dylan, right? Okay, good. Yes. Good deal. I just wanted to make sure because <laughs> I feel like Crodo needs to be further investigated by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was very, very interesting for sure. So that was cool. All right. Well, finally, we are at the whole grains and I thought it would be cool to, you know, just maybe all of us can throw down on this one. Um, 
symbolically speaking, um, because there's such a huge connection as we're all talking already about grain. So just to put pictures to the names, I guess, um, I was just tripping out at how many of these grains actually look very similar to one another. Um, and so up on the like top left, that that's wheat. But then on the bottom left, that's barley. Or sorry, bottom right. Bottom right is barley. And the structure is very similar, but the differences are just very um, nuanced. So the barley just clearly has longer, like little um, almost hairs. And that was the other weave I was thinking about. It was just like a lot of these grains look like hair, which is another Virgo thing. And then you have the same kind of the corn silk on top of the corn reminds me of hairs and there's the way that corn is fertilized uh that the corn silk part is actually the female part and then when the uh, spike comes on top of the corn that looks almost like wheat those seeds drop and those hairs the corn silk must catch the seed in order for it to be fertilized so that it will actually produce an ear of corn so there's almost like a pubic hair thing going on with the uh corn silk in my opinion which goes back to the veil symbolism there's a covering you know that is protecting the area uh it's there for a reason um so again with the hair and then on the lower uh left we have quinoa and then next to that is millet and then i brought in some amaranth and it's very similar. They're all just very similar, in my opinion. And so it's really cool to see the crossover with these plants. And then the one that just is like the anomaly of the group is the upper right, which is buckwheat. Um, so it looks totally different, which I found very interesting as well. Um, so anyway, just wanted to bring all these together and then we can kind of talk about it all as a group and throw in. But the other thing that related to hair for me is like looking at the wheat on the upper left there, it looks like a braid. So it's braided hair. There's something going on with that as well. Um, so yeah, there it is. Nice. Have you, uh, have you guys ever heard the, 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 Trivia question. How many hairs are on an ear of corn? The exact same number as there are kernels. Meaning that, that, true? that every single hair is a little umbilical cord for each little kernel. Whoa. Yes. Yeah, so pollen comes it, down and it touches that hair and it goes and fertilizes that germ. Yeah, man. Um, it's straight up. It's straight up cornographic. <laughs> Shut your cornhole, Gabe. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty corny. You know what's an interesting philological uh, leap that we can make? I wouldn't even call it a huge leap. We know the CG interchange, right? So think about if you turn grain into crane. And what is a crane? A crane is a bird that, high, you know, it's a category of bird. And maybe in modern categorization, it's not kept in the same order as herons, ibises, or storks. But they look a lot like all three of those things. And so the ibis is associated with Thoth. The stork is associated with the Phoenicians and the, the Pelasgi, the, the holy sailors. Who's sending, you know, what can you do with grains? They are storable. They can be shipped on on boats all around. 
not to mention all of the uh, importance, if you will, for large scale civilization ruled by probably a priest king uh, rulership class. And that without grains, there's not really warfare. (laughs) You know, that's not a thing. Uh, You got to have that to feed armies. And a lot of these deities end up being Lord of hosts, you know, their army, their war related gods. Uh, So I think that's interesting all in the mix. As soon as you switch the grain to crane, you can dig a lot of interesting gravy out of that bird symbolism, those particular birds and what they relate to in the occult. Right. You know, uh, somebody mentioned Capricorn. I just want to say that, uh, is that right? Oh, and it's almost, it's almost, if we're going from equinox to the fall equinox to the winter solstice, it's nine months. Uh, so that's a birth cycle. Also, uh, just wanted to bring up the connection with grains and Libra. So my understanding is, is that symbolically the way it kind of plays out is after the harvest season or during the harvest season, you're going to want to weigh all of your grains. You know, you're going to want to weigh your produce for sale to go to market. And so having an accurate scale is really important. And so a lot of Libra symbolism actually has to do with this whole entire process from like, agrarian sort of uh you know uh an agrarian lifestyle growing the grains all that kind of stuff and then actually taking it to market and making money off of it and and trading and things like that so a lot of libra stuff has to do with commerce and it has to do with numbers and ledgers and bookkeeping and accurate weights and measures and things like that but grains definitely play a part in all of that did you know that the hair that's on the corn it's called corn silk That is one of the best remedies for urinary tract infections. It's cooling, a cooling um, carbohydrate that is really, really nourishing to the mucosal tissue in the bladder in particular. So it's really cooling to the bladder. It's not antimicrobial. It's not going to fight the germ. It's just going to change the, the intensity of the heat. And in the bladder, that is a, that's a organ that stores heat, as we know in our language, when we say, I'm pissed off. And uh, for people who are pissed off, but they don't let it out. Uh, and this is a Virgo. This is a Virgo characteristic, by the way. Uh, internalizing, holding things within, um, reflecting inside. It can lead to uh, states of inflammation in the body that can be resolved by just simply changing the environment. And uh, as opposed to fighting the infection or taking a z-pack or whatever so corn silk yeah the little um you know afro that's on the corn and that's great you can, if you go to the farmer's market right about now you can get that shit for free because people are peeling they're shucking the corn ah oh, shucks that's me on shucking job today come on i do this every day and then they put it out for display and then <laughs> and then you this is what i do i ask them hey what are you going to do with all that you know, garbage. Do you mind if I take care of it for you? And they, uh, being people who have a hard enough job to do, will just be like, sure, take it away. You're a resourceful, resourceful guy. You've got tricks for everything. I don't have a trick for separating the wheat from the chaff though. That's really, (laughs) (laughs) 
Tough, you just uh, drop the word placenta and see who sticks around. <laughs> oh, but so uh, with the hairs, how how would you uh, consume them? Would I mean, would you like blend them or make I something out of them? Water. Just throw them in some water, leave it in the pot overnight, and then the next day just strain it. And it gets kind of mucilage, mucilaginous. It looks like water that you had bo- boiled corn in, and that's what it kind of tastes like too. So, good stuff. I mean, I feel this just this slide and these different grains. It's honestly an episode unto itself. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk a lot about grains in the Virgo episode, but. That being said, you know, I'm, I'm also comfortable moving forward to our our last medicine for this conversation. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, man. Uh, I just uh, one detail is uh, there's more. Please let, let it rip, guys. If there's just more. That, the doctor and the signatures of corn being yellow and the urine, of course, uh, I just wanted I mean. It kind of didn't need and to be a phallus done. looks like a looks and the phallus. Like a... Yeah, the signatures on signatures for that. The shucking is oh, like circumcision. Yeah. Very uh lots of solar symbolism going on here for sure. Uh one of the things I just wanted to mention is the um kind of I guess the production of grain, the post-production sort of aspect after it's harvested or whatever. But the mill and mill symbolism and threshing for symbolism. symbolism. Yeah, exactly. So you know where I'm going with it already. I read but, uh, there's a lot to be said to you. Oh nice. It's a good book. <laughs> right on. Hell yeah. Exactly. You get it. But uh, you could say more about that. Uh you know, describe the the way the mill looks you know like there's some there's definitely huge there there's mythology related to that uh, i didn't mean to like just jump in and say yeah i know <laughs> but oh no worries yeah no a huge point i just wanted to mention it real quick but uh the mill being circular in nature and spinning around it's been likened to the spinning of the cosmos right the churning of heaven um and even i have a tarot deck where the wheel of fortune card the wheel is actually a mill and the card depicts a polar bear because what we're dealing with is uh, the circumpolar constellations right close around the pole star you know spinning and so um yeah there's a lot to be said there just like what you said there's you know gods and goddesses associated with all of this but the churning of the heavens that's that's the main thing being likened to a mill and it's interesting um also the idea of like churning a sea of milk is sometimes part of this symbolism and I don't know about you guys, but of all of the non-dairy milks out there, the only one that I think is any good is oat milk. I think oat milk's pretty good. Michelle agrees. You got Michelle approves, yeah. I love There's a lot of glyphosate love in some it. of them. Uh, oh, but, true. But going into the getting into the story, uh just one last point about um the the millstone and, and the connection between that and the zodiacal um, nature throughout the realm. Like if you look at some of the the Native American accounts of um, how they got corn, they're very analogous to Jacob, the story of Jacob who is wrestling with the angel or what I can't, I can't exactly remember the details exactly, but in that story, he's wrestling with the angel over and over. And finally the angel is like, all right, you did it. Um, and then he, he whomps him on the hip and he gives him a bad hip. 
but he, he changes his name to Israel, and now you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, the Native American stories are very similar, where they're, uh, you know, the the hero is wrestling with this spirit, so to speak, and it's dressed up in veils of green, and it's got a, a golden face and blonde hair and blah, blah, blah. And so you get to the end of the story and you realize that it is the corn, but it, it also might have a, a symbolic reference to the tribes, the 12 tribes of, uh, of uh, how, however that's written out. But it's the same kind of story that's told over and over and over, depending on the grain. And I think it's really interesting. Tribes is an anagram for birth. One, one last thing before you go to this next slide, and I could use it as a segue for this next slide if we're ready. This, uh, this, this wheat that's on the upper left here, that section of the wheat, that is called a stockies. That's the name of that part of the plant, stockies. So when you I wonder see if that, that has to do with like stocking things for winter. Hmm. Maybe. Or stocking your ship to go do your mercantile. Interesting. Last thing real quick about wheat. Uh, Virgo in the night sky, depending on how she's illustrated, she's either holding wheat. There's a few things she could be holding. Wheat is one of them. Another thing is a palm branch. And in both instances, I think what's being conveyed is that these are substitutes for a child, like a golden child. Uh, Christ, obviously born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, is sometimes referred to as the branch. And then he's also the bread of life as well. So during communion, when you eat the wafer, you are ingesting the body of Christ symbolically. So in either case, I think that they're putting um, plants in her hands but the implication is is that that's actually uh these are symbolic of her children in a way you tover got into some of that in a bio charisma episode that is coming out soon the branch the tree the bread good stuff all and there's right that stockies again stockies uh, stockies as in uh, Wood Betany. Wood Betany's uh, botan botanical name used to be Botanica officinalis, but uh, the there's like there all, all the uh, botanists are all about ruining the be beauty of names and sometimes I don't know implanting new ones. But stockies, so it's referring to how this plant looks like a spike of wheat. Spike of what? Spike of wheat. Spica, Spica, the star. Okay. Anyway, member of the mints family. It's we have our mercurial mints. Almost all the mints we've covered in this series have been Gemini, and here's one. Here's another one. It's not an aromatic mint. It's slightly bitter, and it's actually unnotable <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. Like the plant, the the plant looks like a regular plant, you know, <laughs> and. It's got this uh, this large head that's separated from its basal rosette. So that's a cool signature I'd like to get into in a second here. But um, as, a, as a plant, this is one of the best remedies for it's – a, it's a gallbladder remedy. It improves your 
tone of your gallbladder, which is the organ seat of courage. And going back to the very top of this episode, two hours and 52 minutes ago, uh, when we were talking about the the parts of Virgo, we were talking about not just the stomach, but we're talking about sacral areas, including the gallbladder, decision-making, sending a thousand men to their death, right? Or... um, or not having the courage to do that, right? So all of that is, uh, is a, this is a great medicine for courage. Um, but it is uh, one of the best remedies for headaches too. And why would that be? Because of the nervousness headache that's associated with the solar plexus. Here, here's where I'll get into the, to the doctrine of signatures. The head that has got so much information in it that it is not connected to its gut brain access or its gut instincts. This is a plant that helps in light, wake, wake up your gut instincts. So <laughs> this is be, uh, Matt Wood talks about this as a remedy for people who have claimed to, to be abducted by aliens, but uh, are unable to like inhabit their body. Like they feel like they have, they've been taken away. Um, and so that's the modern times. In former times, it would be people who have been possessed by demons, people who, have, who are infiltrated in a mental part of their body, but it's disconnecting them uh, mightily in a long, like as, as if it's so long to their, to their uh, gut, as so long to their, to their earth. And um, so, yeah, this is a, just a, it's, it's such a difficult remedy to explain. It's a good one in a tincture. It's a good one in a tea. There's an old, there's an old copy and pasted lingo in this, uh, in all of the herbals that, re- that go back to the Italians. It's just quoted as the Italians. Actually, my, my wife helped me decode this because um, she speaks uh, Bergamasca, which is a, a dialect in Northern Italy. And in this dialect, it's talking about, um, uh, trade in your tunic and get wood betony. But it's a pun because the, the, uh, it's called Vitanica. The pun is, um, that people in the area are called Vitanica if they are like nosy, if they're, if they're popping up in other people's business, um, if they know all these things about people, you know, just like the plant does, it just kind of weedy, it just kind of pops up wherever. And so there is a there's a, a code here with turning in your tunic, which is the, um, the 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 thing that the hermit wears, right? This here we are encoding going into the private realm, and this is what Christ said too in the Bible too. He says, "Take off your coat, trade it in, get yourself a sword." Um, so why would you trade your coat for a sword, or why would you trade your tunic? Or would betony? It's a it's a code for taking your hermetic wisdom that you have that from learning about everything that you've done that you've stored into your uh, Virgo center or maybe your mind and you haven't connected it and taking it off and going into the public realm, offering it into the public realm. Where in the case of wood betony and in the in in the way that it's portrayed in these Italian. Um, rhymes and rhythms is that it's, you know, the, the public gossipy herb, huh? What'd you say over there? Oh, I'm just popping up in your garden. Huh? What are you talking about? And in the Bible is talking about uh, the sword as in going not to just like chop off a bunch of Romans ears, uh, but, to, but to 
uh, speak the word of truth according to Christ and uh, forsake your hermitage status um, and move in and out of the realms. And this is what, this is all of this medicine is perfect with wood betony. Somebody who is the, um, who's been on a spaceship, who has been to the demon realm, who, uh, who is trying to encode these things in their body, uh, in their public and their private sides. Um, and it's causing a lot of headaches. It's causing a lot of grief for somebody who's, uh, when they get ill, they don't know if their headache came on first or their stomach ache came on first um, or vice versa. So um, it's, it's uh, in a lot of old uh, herbals, it's considered a panacea of sorts. But it's also very often in modern herbals called the forgotten herb. Just over and over and over. And it's just funny how uh, there's this copy and pasting of the legend that's spoken by the Italians and uh, and that it's a forgotten herb. And that's just kind of all we know. And I just think that it wants to be that way. It wants to be uh, in these forgotten Virgo-esque areas and tend to them so well. So anyway, that's what I got about Stachys. If There's one more slide here to show the... Um, the nature of how it looks like the, I put the spica right behind it there in the translucent state. And there's Virgo, the constellation. And uh, yeah, member of the mint family, classic labiaceae, labia lips, now called labiaceae, uh, mint family um, flowers, as you can see there. Yep. That's all. That's not Very cool, man. Uh, I really like this forgotten herb thing because this is part of Virgo symbolism. Um, and this is part of, in my opinion, the stellar tradition is that it's Virgo, the feminine and uh, these earlier traditions. They're more passive in nature, so they're often overlooked. Meanwhile, the sun in all of its glory and all of its radiance almost demands your attention. And so it's more of a thing that's going to um, be seen, be observed, be discussed. But the feminine side of things, the root side of things, the darker side of things, the hidden side of things, the occulted side of things, obviously, they just... Uh, you know, you have to do your digging. You have to want to explore those territories, kind of like some of the stuff Slick was saying earlier. You know, he goes down deep and brings up these gems or whatever. And uh, you kind of have to be that person to understand a lot of this kind of stuff. So this passive sort of nature, this veiled, concealed sort of nature, very much in line with everything I think that we're discussing tonight. So that's great. Yeah, this has just been an awesome weave. You know, uh, in reverse, it's, you know, it's almost, you know, to bow. Hmm. And I'm, yeah, I'm seeing, uh, there's a lot of fun anagrams possibly in here, but. It's, uh, it's such a good one for all the problems. Hey, you got a problem? Be like Tony. Hey, <laughs> get about it. Be Tony. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wave of a hand. It all goes yeah. away. Hey, you You're becoming more Italian all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, Rose pointed out that your typical new herbs, uh, what is it? Migraine be gone tincture. <laughs> yeah. It contains this wood betony and that she says it's effective. I also have used the roll-on 
the essential oil roll-on you have for headaches. I found that to be good. So really at this point, if people haven't uh, gone and perused the site to see all the different possibilities that you're offering, uh, they ought to, because it's really amazing. And I don't know guys, but I think this is a great point to start concluding. We've done an awesome job tonight. Like uh, especially some of the surprise things that popped out. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate you guys so much. It, Little, little sad that we're almost to the twelfth sign. <laughs> it's it's tough, but considering the way that it all shook out, that we're gonna be you know completing the wheel at Libra because we began at Scorpio, does leave room for a fun thirteenth sign, Ophiuchus weave to you know just to bring the band back together one more time at, at least. So uh, we'll look forward to that. If we, guys, if, we, if we survive October 2nd, <laughs> <laughs> we'll survive. It's just a question of the technology. Well, we'll be fine. Yeah, but uh, all of this stuff is in your mind anyway. So, the, you know, what the worst that could happen is we just have to switch to telepathy broadcasts. We, we can handle it. <laughs> or get together in real life and build the, the community that way. I'm into that. Everybody karma here. Tosh, karma Tosh, this Karma Tosh. This is the place to do it. Come here, everyone. Come on. <laughs> so uh, I don't have any closing thoughts other than that. I just appreciate the four of you so much. It's a lot of fun. Every time we get together, the chat has been phenomenal from my side, from uh, Michelle's side, from Mario's side. Everyone's respectful. Everyone's insightful. Haven't even had, you know, haven't had occasion to even think twice or look sideways at a single comment. That speaks volumes to the quality of the folks here and uh, on on screen and in the live chat. So thank you for everybody for being so well behaved and so wonderful. Uh, hit me up for tunings. You know, that's always an option. Michelle, what offerings are you still holding on to from your last full moon? Um, I have, well, what do I have? I have my, um, skin and wound salvation salve that is still available. All my pink grapefruit salt soap sold out, which was very exciting. Um, and yeah, I've got some mugwort left over though. Mugwort tincture. I also have St. John's wort tincture and anointing oil available, but you can find out more about what I've got going on. Um, if you go to my website, um, you can also hit up my YouTube channel and check out some of my, uh, past episodes of the healing home. This last one, we just did a Virgo symbolism show with me and Mario and my menu of my current offerings is up there. Um, soon there'll be an online store though, woohoo, which will be awesome. So that'll be fun. Some people can go and check things out um, regularly. Um, I think Mario had a thought. I Do you want to, I'll pass the mic. Oh, sure. Just real quick because uh, the, the hermetic cross came up earlier and I just wanted to verify that that was indeed um, its name and it is and there's actually two sort of variations and I have it here in this book this is the woman's dictionary of symbols and sacred objects by Barbara Walker she's pretty incredible and uh, I will show it to you here uh, if you want to embiggen me as uh, Slick says I like that we have a new term for that I just need to figure out what the magic words are like presto embigo I don't know I'm still thinking about it yeah the one on the right there with the that man, that is very anchor-like as a symbol, man. 
right right exactly so there you go the hermetic cross i think it's interesting that there's two versions with the four you know above the uh, crescent there and then the cross above the crescent so anyways there you go and then the shepherd stuff that i kind of brought up earlier it was right there too really cool yeah well if that doesn't tell you christianity is hermetic you know it's on this old ass greek bible jesus on a hermetic cross Hell, they even call the study of the dogma hermeneutics. It's it's not exactly hidden. It's just, I think, you know, I think the whole like smashing down of uh, all the mysticism out of Christianity and, you know, beating the life out of it, I think it's way more recent than people are aware of. You know, I don't even think it's even all that much. Um, I don't know. I think that people even as recent as 150 years ago knew a lot more about the mysticism of their religion. And it's not that not that uh, long that things have been so bland and and uh, lame <laughs> with the religions. Surprise me. And good point, dude. But uh, man, this was fun. Thanks for having us. Uh, I was really excited for it. And uh, I learned a lot, as always. And uh, I think, too, uh, we, we should absolutely do an Afukas episode. That's almost worthy of a separate vibrant, too, just to get into the constellation itself, uh, regardless of the plants that are associated with it. So just going to throw that out there and see if I'm you're in. interested, because I would be down. Yeah, I'm totally in. Absolutely. Nice. nice. Cool. Cool. Awesome. You know, it would be fun to get uh, David Matheson for that. The astrotheology guy. Uh, right here's one of his. Oh my gosh, you just embiggened me without me asking. <laughs> this is one of his books I'm working on right now, Myth and Trauma, David Warner Matheson. He is, you know, he's a great astrotheology guy, and he would be fun to have on just so he can run through some of the many characters and, and mythologies where the central figure is Ophiuchus in, you know, encoded as Ophiuchus because it's a lot of it. Dude, I'm so down. I'm excited, man. We we got to make that happen. Uh, if he's oh, let me forget. Let's talk about this off the air. Another, I'll message you. I'm yeah, sure yeah. he would be. I've been trying to think of a good way to get him back on. Um, you know, so I've been Dude. reading the book when I find time. But uh, that would be a good way to do it without me having to finish this book necessarily. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say it now with everybody here before David Matheson hears us. <laughs> I hope if this happens, I'm so looking forward. Keep this all between us, even though we're broadcasting live. I can't wait to point out how his parachute lifestyle, he was an extreme parachuter. He would like take his risks and go way too close and then pull the cord. And and then his canopy would open in his heavens to save his life. He left that behind and he found another canopy in his heavens. That has saved his life. Man. That's a I good leave. I'm sure I he can't dig that. I can't wait to share that with him. Like the 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 like there's gotta be another word be like a it's like supra metaphorical. You know what I mean? It's just not the metaphor is played out. We need a new level of what that is. It's uh, synchromistic. That's, you know, we do have that word. I mean, there may be a better one. That's it. That's it. So, guys, um, what's on last Thursday, tomorrow night? 
What's on last Thursday, next Thursday? (laughs) (laughs) We actually are going to be doing uh, a whole show on Woodstock. And so there's a lot of interesting things about Woodstock. We just uh, we're rewatching a documentary. It's like a four hour long documentary about Woodstock. There are definitely maybe not like real or not as as promoted, like it's a, a staged event type thing. Dude, it was kind of like a a little bit of an experiment. She might go all the way and say that it absolutely was, but there's experimental (laughs) elements with it, including them literally cloud seeding um, the air to induce a uh, rainfall, basically, while everybody was out there without shelter and things like that. Exactly, dude. We mentioned that too. Exactly. Oh my god, I literally did a, a count, a plane tally count in my notes while we watched it. Like ticked it off. How many planes you can see while performers are performing and stuff. It's actually really interesting. But and they actually show literally. There's two people after the rainfall that come to uh, the cameraman and says, uh, "Why did the fascist pigs uh, cloud seed the sky so that they can induce this storm and everything else?" So there's literally people on the ground during Woodstock that made note of the cloud seeding that was going on. So to me, that's really fascinating. Yeah, and uh, our buddy Pedro is going to be joining us for the la- this last Thursday tomorrow. Um, so he'll be coming in to the weave, which will be awesome. Be awesome to just introduce him to everybody online too. He's great. Pedro, totally interesting, Rose. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's uh, there. There's a lot of trickery going on for sure. So we're gonna decode that as much as we can. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys, anything else to announce while we uh, have everybody's captive attention? Uh, I did a show with Zeralath. It was a really good time. Uh, digging into some uh, Heideggerian interpretation of uh, two Dasein one space odyssey. And oh, potentially cool. uh, Vault Dasein Welt. You know, it's hiding out in so many places. Uh, so, yeah, we kind of wove on that over on his channel uh, the other day. And in like a month from now, I'll be on uh, Paranoid Americans channel. He like just backloaded a ton of episodes. So he's going to be like producing for months. I think he's uh, laying cover smoke for some sort of secret Masonic mission he's going to be on. <laughs> I had so much fun uh, doing Thomas's show. He's so cool. That we was great. Got to think of reasons to have him back on, on rants and things ASAP. Um, well, I'll announce and link in the chat here. I was on a podcast called alt or native and then published today. These guys are new to the, uh, the game a bit. You know, the I was episode 42, so they've got some, they've definitely got some stuff in the archives, but their YouTube channel could use some love. So pop over on this link and give them a sub and check out this talk I gave uh, for them about the spiritual side of conspiracy, conspirituality. Lucky number 42. It was a good episode. And uh, Kyle, any, any announcements before we go? Yeah, man, I just made a, I made a Virgo box set, which is really cool. It's got a bunch of medicines from that we talked about tonight and it's really fun to just craft a bunch of, I don't know, astrological box sets. I'm going to be doing that lately. So keep your eye out for those. I'll be doing one every, every sign now. They're really cool. It's a really fun way to explore some creativity and uh, shake up the, you know, I got recipes that I've been working. You know, I do my own recipes every day, blah, 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 for the last several years. So it's really cool to just look, look for a new, new inspiration and, and so Virgo box set is $44 and 44 cent. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, man, I don't know. Just, 
just uh, really enjoying enjoying things right now, enjoying the life, enjoying this show, enjoying hanging out with my friends, enjoying seeing my friends in the chat. Word up, uh, shout out James, Rose, Rachel. Y'all are awesome. Dylan, what's up? And uh, yeah, it's just been a great night. Looking forward to our last episode together. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. So it's, it's always a pleasure. Always. Yeah, I had so much fun. Couldn't imagine a cooler group to hang out with on a Wednesday. All right, then we'll wrap it up. Much love to you all. To Big all, love good and night. Respect.